It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We're being hit with energy increases with inflationary increases left, right, and center. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Extra WhatsApp 083 Straight out of the blocks, a happy International Women's Day to every one of you. We will focus on Women's Day uh, throughout the morning. Uh, Several Women's Day guests, Women's Day themes, and probably some Women's Day music once we organise that too. So we'll mark it uh, the 8th of March over the next couple of hours for your contribution is there a woman if there was one woman sorry lads I never mentioned this to you I was running down the stairs to the little boys room at 5 to 9 and I forgot to mention this to the lads is there a woman I know too much information Pete is there a woman that if we could give a medal so let's pretend we have a medal alright for the woman of the moment the woman of the year the greatest Cork, Irish woman, matter who, young, old, living, dead, the greatest woman. And we will get people messaging in about me, Mammy, and that's fine. Hello, Mother, you are one of the women of all time. Uh, But is there a woman that we could award the Opinion Line Medal of Inspirational Woman of our generation or any generation? And we'd award that about 12 o'clock. Doesn't matter who it is. And I'm not even going to suggest anybody. But let's go with that. Always 396. 96, 96. In, in, actually, in the context of, of women and Women's Day, I've been listening to some interviews over the last 24 hours in response to the lifting of the evictions ban. And a lot of interviews I'm hearing with very distressed women, particularly women of small mothers of small children um, who are facing into eviction and terrified by the prospect now that their landlord could evict them and will have the power to evict them again come the end of March. You'll know that on Monday night the three party leaders, the three coalition leaders, Michal Martin, Leo Baradkar and Eamon Ryan sat down 
with the Minister for Housing, Dara O'Brien. Four men in the room, actually, according to Green Party, Tidessa Harrigan, who you'll know from the programme. They sat down and Dara O'Brien is reported to have told the three leaders that, look, the Attorney General says I can't continue this thing. The Attorney General is telling, reportedly, the the Attorney General is telling the government that you can't continue with the evictions ban. That, that seems to be where we are. And yesterday, we were, I was making the point, very few people were, were ringing up about it. I think, I think people have accepted now that this is the way it is with regards uh, to housing. Now, a good friend of the show, uh, East Cork Green Party Councillor Liam Quaid, was very outspoken yesterday. He said, the lifting of the eviction ban is morally wrong and will add further misery to the lives of people who are already in very precarious situations. Uh, Dublin Central TD, Nessa Horrigan, who's been on this show more than once in context of Onakura, she questioned the process of having three men in the room making such a big decision. But the decision has been made. The Green Party appeared to be breaking ranks on this. Another one who's done so locally is Councillor Oliver Moran uh, from Cork uh, Northeast. Oliver, you too have said I think that this ban should not have been ended. Morning to you. Morning, PJ. Um, um, Peter, just want to say congratulations and thank you for actually what you just said. Um, it, it was only when you when you said this, it, it, it struck me like reflecting on email uh, emails I get, telephone calls I get. It is primarily women. Who, who contact me on, on housing issues. Now, they, they, they may be representing themselves, their children, their household, but it, it is, you're right to point it out, it is primarily women who contact me on this issue. And uh, so many of them, so many of them are at the end of their tether. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the eviction ban, it, it, look, it was never going to be a long-term solution. I, I seconded a motion from Councillor John Maher at, at the last meeting at Cork City Council looking for it to be extended for another year. But it was never going to be a long-term solution. But what has me so frustrated, so frustrated, is that it, it has been brought to an end now. And in the time it was there, the immediate solutions that people need haven't been put in place. Yeah. You know, even yesterday... You know, we, we look. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you here. We, we, we had a briefing ourselves. Um, you know, Green Party councillors, our spokesperson, um, and 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 various staff on this. Look, I, I was so angry on that call. I could barely talk. I, I'm hoping more articulate this morning. Um, and you know, we, we we were talking about what what is planned to be put in place. Well, yeah. you know, the things that 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 they're looking at at, at doing. But right now, today. All that that renters are certain of is that the eviction ban has been lifted. But the things that are being talked about being being brought in, the protections that are being talked about being brought in, they're still only being talked about being brought in. And that that certainty that people need and that the women who you're referring to just there, they don't have that this morning. That has me so angry. I'm reading from one of the papers, the mail, in fact, which is in front of me here on the desk. It says that the other members of the cabinet are now rounding on Dara O'Brien saying you had six months to get it right. You had six months to put something in place and nothing has been. Uh, and, and look, I, I, what you said about the Attorney General, I, I, I'm not so sure about that. I actually don't think there was legal advice. I, I, I don't think, um, I, I, I think it was primarily a political decision and it was primarily a decision um, you know, with the interest, I'm going to put it out straight there, with the interest of, of, of landlords primarily. Um, and and you know ensuring that that 
that landlords have have certainty, um, because the, the the only people welcoming this are um, you know the the, the landlords' representative bodies. Yeah. Nobody else is 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 welcoming this, um, and 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 I, I I don't think that there was any legal uh, prohibition to 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 extinguish the ban. I think it, it was it was a, a um, uh, it was a, a political one uh, with the interests of landlords there. And yes, the the core issue is. That in that six months that it was there, uh, the, the, you know, it was the very last minute that they're talking about putting things in place, and they're not there. That time was wasted. And if it, I, I, I asked yesterday, and I will call upon it again today to reverse the decision uh, well, we- to lift a ban in order to extend it again and make sure what they're talking about being bought in. They're talking about allowing tenants uh, to, to you know, be given first offer to, to buy the house. If they're unable to buy the house, uh, that's uh, an approved housing body would be given the opportunity, the opportunity to first bid again yeah. to buy the house and, and rent it back. They look, they're good ideas, but they, they need to be there in place for people before you lift a ban. So, so you'd be saying, no, you, I, you'd be asking the minister and I assume through your own colleagues who are on cabinet Eamon Ryan, Roderick O'Gorman Catherine Martin, you would be asking them to come to go back to Darrow O'Brien and say look those ideas are not bad ones but can we at least hold off on the end of the ban until we put them in place That's what I've already asked, I asked yesterday I, 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 What I, response I, did I, you get? It, it the response was that they, they, they would ask that they will go back. It, it wasn't. It wasn't the three people who, who named uh, were on the call. But look, I spoke to her housing, her housing spokesperson, um, and he said he'd go back and ask. Yeah. Because I, 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 without those things being in place, I, I think it's it's putting the cart before the horse. In terms of what the attorney general may or may not have said, and these things don't get published. But Mr. Fanning, if you're to listen to what Dara O'Brien says, Mr. Fanning, the, the attorney general, has said, look, constitutionally, this ban doesn't hold up long term that's one thing we're that's the, what we're given to understand the other thing we know anyway oliver is that over the last number of years landlords are leaving the market small landlords are leaving the market in their droves and this wasn't helping so we have a, it, it a was, horrendously difficult and, situation anyway and and the, the solutions that are are there um, or the ones that are, that are that are being touted to be put in place i think that they Look, there's, there's a lot of good things happening, right? And and there, there are things that can happen in, in the medium term. Um, and, you know, they are about addressing those, all the, 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 the issues that you've just mentioned. So one about, about landlords, uh, private landlords leaving uh, the market. Another is about the, the question of the balance between private rights um, and, and, you know, the public right to housing. Um, you know, they, we, we are expecting there to be a referendum on that question to right to housing. And this is, I think, like, it, it's quite an abstract sort of idea for a lot of people. What, what, what does the right to housing mean? And it means about this balance in the law between uh, the, the, the private rights of, of, of property holders who are renting and then the rights of people who are living there and who, who need a house and, and who has more rights. Is it the person who wants to sell the house and, and, and evict the tenants there or is it the rights of the people who need a place to live? You ask me, I think it's the rights of people who, who live there. They, have the, the, they should have the right to, that trumps anything else and that's what that referendum will be about. Yeah. Uh, the other thing uh, that, that's being put in place is about this question of 
private landlords um, and you know the, what you talked about there of the exodus from the market. I was really interested to, to read um, um, uh, 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 Marion Finnegan from from Sheriff Fitzgerald in the, in the Irish, Irish Examiner today, um, and she was describing uh, you know the, the landlords who are coming to her uh, selling up. Um, and a quote from her is that uh, the the the, um, uh, the the private landlords are not responsible for the state's housing policy, and that that's is a fair point. That's, a, that's an exceptionally problem. fair point. It's an exceptionally that's fair an point. Exception. A lot of people are making that point. And, and and that's been our our core problem for so long that we've we've become dependent upon the private uh, market in order to deliver what is a public need, and that's not to say that there's no room. Uh, for for private landlords or the private markets, mm-hmm. but we shouldn't be dependent upon the private markets. Uh, you know, which is well, look, we, we are for the, at we, least ten we, or twelve we, years. We've become far too dependent on the private market, and we find ourselves in this position exactly. in twenty twenty three, a position we should never have been in. Exactly, and, and that's why look the the, the ideas that are mooted. Um, and look, they're only muted. That's what my frustration is about. The ideas that are mooted are, are moving in the right direction. So allowing tenants the, the, the first opportunity to buy, if that doesn't work, uh, then allowing an approved housing body the, the first opportunity to buy when a private landlord is, is, is leaving the market. And then you're expanding the state sector in, in the housing market like that um, and, and getting that dependability in there. And look, that's not... That's not to say that there will that there kind of could never be any room for private landlords either. But you 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 you, you bring back in yeah. more certainty by having the state there, and you start recognising housing as being a public need, not a, a a private interest. Now this this is not something on which a government's going to fall. It's not something on which your members are going to walk away from government and cabinet and your veteran, he'd kill me for saying it, but your, your elder lemon in Cork, Dan Boyle, has been saying in his time in government, this is what he learnt. You win some, you lose some. The Greens lost out on this one, but you get on with the business of government. Do you agree with him? I, I, I do and I don't. I look, I was talking I was talking to Danny from just before I came on the call today, um, and, and it's not that we disagree on anything, um, but I, I, I think the way you, you framed it there isn't how I would see things. Yes, you win some, you lose some, but you don't stop fighting. You keep on fighting until you win. So, look, yesterday or Monday, whenever this decision was made, yeah, we lost then, but I'm not going to stop fighting. And, you know, whether the, the eviction, whether the decision is, is reversed and the eviction ban is uh, extended for another six or 12 months, that's one approach. Is it another something you think your that, government, is, that, is it something you think that your senior colleagues should consider their government positions on if they can't reverse it. But it's not only about reversing, right? I think if, if, if you... No, no, we'll come, back, come back to that, that but just 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 right. focus on that for a second, Oliver. Three of your senior party members sit on cabinet. Is it something that they should consider or yeah, consider their positions on if they can't get this decision reversed or paused? This I, much more important than getting it, it reversed or paused is getting the, the, the issue is getting the protections in there, and that's what I want to be involved. Sure, and that's why I, that's why that's why I want them at the cabinet table. That, I mean, I, I want them at the cabinet table to be keep so it's on no. fighting. It's it, it's it's a keep fighting is what it is, right? I'm not giving up yet. Yeah. So I want them to because one criticism fighting. of Nessa Harrigan, and indeed of other. Iraqis members was she spoke out and spoke out strongly because I listened back to the interview she spoke out very strongly yeah. against this decision but 
the comeback that she gets is, well, you'll go into the dial and you'll vote for it. There's, well, there's no vote for it. it, it it's, it's a cabinet decision. Mm. Um, so, but look, it, it's it's where do you want to position yourself? And and look, this this is a, this is quite a, a you know a long debate among the left and among among people who want change. And I respect people who have, who have different positions to me on this. I I I, I don't say that I, I I hold any particular you know insight and wisdom. But I you know the, the the question is where do you fight? Do you fight within or do you fight without? Um, I, I, on balance, I'm somebody who keeps fighting within, right? right. Um, so, you know, on balance, do, do I think bring down the government on this? On balance, probably not. But do you keep fighting? Yeah, you do. Somebody else might take another view that this is something you walk away from. Um, I, I don't think it would necessarily bring down the government because I think that there would be, um, you know, the rural independence bloc would probably keep it going. Um, so I, I think strategically, you're, you're probably not going to get a, a, a win on it by walking away. And what you should do is just keep being there and keep giving hell. And that's what I'm planning on doing. All right. Oliver, thank you. Oliver Moran, um, Green Party Councillor, Cork City Council. Um, it's impossible to call, isn't it? It really is impossible to call. The government is kind of obliged. I say kind of because there are grey areas. The government is kind of obliged. If it's told by the Attorney General, it must act in a particular way. The government is kind of obliged to act in that way. Kind of. Not all the time, but kind of. And if you don't act in the way you're told by your AG, you have to be able to explain yourself afterwards as to why you didn't. And if you end up inciting the courts, getting battered around the courts for going against what you said, what the AG said to you, you need to be able to explain yourself afterwards. Because the job of the AG is to guide the government legally. But for the people stuck, the people who now are facing going down and declaring themselves homeless in April, May and June, that advice to the government doesn't matter, of course, and would you blame them? 0818-96-96-96. I thank my lucky stars every morning, every morning when I wake up and look at the ceiling, I thank my lucky stars that I have never been in this position and that thankfully at this stage of my life... I don't think I ever will be. One can never tell, but, you know, I've never been in this position. And nobody close to me has ever been in this position. So I can't speak from any experience of being afraid of what's happening with your home and your future. I can't begin to imagine what it must be like. 0818969696. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Cork's 96 FM invites you to run the Cork City Marathon. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie for Sunday, June 4th. Do it now with Cork's 96 FM. We are with our friends at Carrigline Furniture and Carpets this week and a €1,500 shopping spree, a voucher to spend in their premises on respa mattresses or beds or quality flooring or carpets, anything contained within their four walls, you can use your €1,500 towards it. 
and we'll give that away on Friday. We have a bit of fun with this every day. We have a celebrity bouncing on a bed. Now, the bed is very squeaky with springs that, personally, if I sat on a bed and it squeaked like that, I wouldn't buy it. But I'm sure you will get much better beds in Carrigline furniture and carpets. But who is bouncing today on our very squeaky bed? But I would, you know, like I said, I would, I would like to maybe have more children. So it'd be up to them, you know, because I only just now feel like I've caught up on my sleep from nine years ago. Okay. Again, listen for the double meanings. Stop it now. Stop it. We're having great fun with these all week. Who is bouncing on the bed and talking about having more children at the same time? I mean, come on. But I would, you know, like I said, I would, I would like to maybe have more children. So it'd be up to them, you know, because I only just now feel like I've caught up on my sleep from nine years ago. Her name and yours, please, to 83 396 I'll let you hear it again. I've been saying for weeks and weeks that this Enoch Bork is kind of the gift that keeps on giving. Standing outside the school, standing there all lonely and forlorn with his little shoulder bag and in refusing to go away and it costing him an awful lot of money to stay there outside the school every single day. We know he was in jail for a hundred and something days before Christmas. Um, he was then released at Christmas and asked not to go back to the school. He still goes back to the school. I'm very much assuming he's there this morning right now as we speak, standing outside the school with his little shoulder bag. The history of it is traces back, it traces its way back to May or to August, when he was asked, he was instructed to, to, to address a student by a new name and using gender neutral pronouns. That's where this started but it went way, way, way beyond that. And in fact, that issue is now so inconsequential to the whole thing that the only reason I mention it is to remind you that it happened. There was chaos yesterday. Absolute chaos in the courts in Dublin. His entire family literally dragged out kicking and screaming. In all my years covering courts, I never saw anything like it. And Frank Graney... Have you ever seen anything like it in your years covering the courts? Good morning. Good morning to you and your listeners, PJ. No, I think you've summed it up well there. Um, scenes of absolute chaos, extraordinary scenes. There have been outbursts in the past in relation to this case. We have seen incidents where both Enoch Burke and his sister Amy have been uh, forcibly removed from other courtrooms. But what happened yesterday was out of this world. There are no other way of describing it. We were all gathered there for the court's judgment in relation to an appeal taken by Enoch Burke against those high court orders uh, from last August and September directing him to stay away from his former school. And as it became clear that he wasn't going to win, his sister, uh, Amy Burke, took to her feet to interrupt the president of the court as he was delivering his ruling. And that's when it all really kicked off. Um, and he was repeatedly asked to sit down. And when she refused... Uh, Mr. Justice George Birmingham asked for her to be removed from the courtroom. That sparked their mother, Martina Burke, to take to her feet. Uh, she was seen waving the Irish constitution at the judges, shouting all sorts at them. She was accusing them of bowing at the altar of transgenderism. Uh, the judges rose for a few minutes. And when they returned, Mr. Justice Birmingham simply told them that 
he was willing to keep going, uh, that he would deliver the judgment in person, but that he would do so electronically if there were any further interruptions. And um, as you well know by now, there were. And the court did have to rise again. And when it did, when the judges returned to their chambers, uh, all hell broke loose. Uh, Ten guards were dispatched to the courtroom down at the four courts. At this point, uh, Amy was dragged out by four officers. Uh, Enoch had to be restrained. Uh, their parents, Martina and Sean, also got involved. So too did their brothers, Isaac and Simeon. Uh, they simply refused to leave the courtroom. The court staff had tried to empty the public gallery. It was full to the brim. Um, I was seated just behind the bench where Enoch uh, Burke's parents uh, were seated and I actually had to put my feet up on that bench uh, to avoid getting squashed as the guards tried to remove the Burks from their aisle. Uh, Enoch was screaming at them to leave his father alone. He called them thugs. Uh, there were scuffles in the aisle as the Burks continued to refuse to leave. Uh, Enoch at one point um, grabbed onto a bench uh, very tightly as one of the Gardaí tried to reason with him. He was standing over his shoulder. He hadn't laid a hand on him at this point and he was trying to, I suppose, reason with him and get him to leave the courtroom peacefully. That didn't happen. Uh, Simeon Burke, his younger brother, was next out the door uh, before uh, his parents were removed. Enoch was the next out and Isaac was the last to be removed from the courtroom. He was dragged along the floor of the courtroom by three officers Pure and utter chaos, as you say, PJ. Is it fair to say, Frank, that while this entire debacle may have started over Enoch Burke's refusal to use certain pronouns, that's where it started. But that's so far in the distance now, it no longer matters. And what's happening here has nothing to do with that anymore. Yeah, you know, it's a funny one. As I was leaving the courtroom yesterday after everyone had been forcibly removed and the public gallery had had left, um, myself and the many other journalists that were there were starting to file out. And one of the judicial assistants asked me if I wanted to take a copy of the judgment as I left the courtroom. And I looked at her as if she had two heads, almost forgetting, you know, why we were all there in the first place um, for that ruling that the judges weren't able to deliver in its entirety. The judges were certainly not going to return to the courtroom, so hard copies of their decision were handed out to the gathered media. And and ultimately, but as you say, it is almost secondary given what happened yesterday afternoon. Ultimately, uh, Enoch Burke lost his appeal. It was uh, dismissed in full. And it's a 36-page judgment. I have it here in front of me, and I'm looking at the pages that deal with the factual background. And you just kind of touched on they're going back as far as May and leading into the months that followed right up until he was dismissed following a disciplinary uh, procedure at the end of January. Daily fines, as we know, have been imposed on him since. €700 for every day that he continues to defy a court order to stay away from Wilson's Hospital School. But all that seems to be forgotten in the madness. You know, all people are talking about yesterday were the scenes within the courtroom and indeed outside. You know, there were some TV camera crews waiting outside as the Burks were forcibly removed. And then, of course, uh, just a short trip up, up along the quays in the Criminal Courts of Justice, we had... Uh, one of the Burks, this time Enoch Burke's younger brother, Simeon, appearing before a district court judge. He was arrested after being removed from uh, the four courts and charged with the breach of the peace. And he appeared uh, before a district court this after, or yesterday afternoon. Mm. Um, and again, the family had travelled down along the Keys uh, to be there in support of him. And 
the funny thing is with all of this, PJ, is that we still have an awful long way to go because the main dispute between Enoch Burke and the school, remarkably, still hasn't been heard. I was just going to get there, Frank. This is not over or far from it. I expect he's still back there this morning with his little shoulder bag outside outside the gate. I don't know if he is or not, um, but I know last week his case was mentioned before a judge of the High Court and that judge wanted to um, get an update from the school as to whether or not he was complying with the order to stay away from the school. He was also given a right of reply. I think that was expected to be filed with the court by close of business last Friday. Friday, I understand that he did. But what that all is, I suppose, tracking towards is the main hearing of the main dispute between Enoch Burke and his school. That hasn't been heard yet. And that was by Enoch Burke's choice because he wanted to firstly challenge the legality and the validity of the court orders that were put in place last August and September. And as I've just told you, and again, it does seem secondary at this point, he has that he has lost that appeal. Time will tell whether he seeks permission to have a further appeal heard before the Supreme Court. But failing to do that, or if the Supreme Court decides that his case doesn't have merit to hear an appeal of that type, we will in due course have the main dispute. So there is a long way to go. And also now you have a case where Simeon Burke is before the courts, uh, albeit facing a criminal charge, that of a breach of the peace yesterday, and he's due back in court next Tuesday. He was, and there was no objection to bail when he appeared before uh, the court yesterday, but he refused to take it up. Uh, The judge said that he could take up bail whenever he wanted. All he had to do was sign uh, a bond, I think, to the tune of about €200, and he would be released from prison. Uh, But failing to do that, he was remanded in custody yesterday and is due to appear before Cloverhill District Court next week. So there are many strands to this story. Uh, Enoch Burke also has an avenue of appeal in relation to his dismissal at the school. Now, that's not something that should trouble the courts, although with the Burks, it really is hard to tell. Isn't it just you have no idea what's going to happen from week to week or day to day? Frank, thank you very much, court reporter. Frank Graney, who was present yesterday to witness those extraordinary scenes at the courts in Dublin. John says, no talk about the disgraceful and thuggish behaviour of the guards attacking the Burke family. I hope they're charged with assault and lose their jobs. Well, they were asked to remove them from the court uh, and... The Burks then proceeded to our perception of it is, and as Frank's description of it is, they proceed. They proceeded to effectively have to be dragged out, kicking and screaming. John says the scenes outside the court were disgraceful. Members of notorious and organised crime gangs are not manhandled like that. During the lockdown, there were several notorious funerals. None of those people were thrown around like that. You never see this happening in courts in Ireland, even when criminals are making covert threats to people leaving the courtroom. You have a point John, but it's I've in all my years in court and in all Frank's years in court, scenes we've never witnessed, witness, I've, I've seen court court sittings go hairy go uh, awry never seen anything like that. I've seen things get very leery in a court, particularly sometimes in the coroner's court, things can get very angry and emotionally charged never seen anything like that though also asking you for your your woman worthy of a medal. That's kind of how we're putting it. Woman of the year, inspiring woman, whatever. If we had a medal to award, who would you award it to? And 0818 96 Now, it being March and it being spring, it is also lambing season. And it is a time of year that farmers, sheep farmers in particular, dread. And the worst fears of lambing season and spring 
came to pass last weekend for Dan Cronin. You farm out in Lower Killeen's Dan, and you lost quite a number of of lambs to a savage attack by dogs. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are the things? Good. So sorry. So sorry to yes, see what we... happened. So sorry to see what happened. I uh, thank you very much. Well, PJ, be quite honest. It all happened last Friday evening, about half past six. Um, a neighbour uh, of mine came up from down the road and told me that there were sheep on the road which our sheep don't be on the road. And we went down to have a look and we realised that our flock was after being attacked by dogs. Yeah. And we found sheep inside. They chased them out onto the public road and they ended up inside in the river. We had to actually physically take them out of the river. How many did you lose? We lost, well, to be quite honest, PJ, we, we you see, we lost, we don't, at the moment, we have five gone at the moment, but that could go up because if a dog basically ch- chases a sheep or bites a sheep, it has very, very little small, ch- it has a very small chance of surviving this. So you could be on to me again next week and it could be double. Yeah. They call it worrying, other than the physical attack where a dog bites and kills a sheep. They call it worrying and what I'm given to understand over the years, Dan, by talking to some farmers is that experience of being, as they say, worried by a dog, even a little family pet, a harmless old fool of a family dog, that can be so traumatic for a sheep, particularly a lamb, that their heart just gives out. Well, Exactly, and especially, you see, we have, we have some of these sheep now are after lambing, and we have lambs there since before Christmas, and we have lambs three weeks old, and we have sheep to lamb at this very moment. But if you if you come along and chase, for example, a pregnant yo this minute, she just give up. she just give up, and then she just die. Yeah. And they just can't take the stress. They can't take the stress, no. no. And I think it's also worth pointing out, Dan, this doesn't have to be some kind of cross, big, muscular breed of dog. Like I said, your ordinary family pet can cause havoc at this time of year. Any dog, any dog will it will join a pack, regardless if it's a little Yorkshire Terrier up to a German Shepherd or anything. If they meet up together and they go attack the sheep, they'll all join in. Yeah. Every dog is just it's just their nature. But they're not being kept under control. That's the problem. Yes. I know your little daughter in particular has been devastated by this. Oh, gee. well, you see, I have two daughters and they're, they're really into, you see, that's their, that's their sideline. They actually look after them and they do everything with them. And when they came up to see their little babies dead, they just couldn't believe it. Yeah. They're devastated. Yeah. There's one, my one, one of my daughters now. She just can't handle it. To be quite honest, she just can't believe what's after happening. Yeah, it's, it's to see all the important lambs, and then like the picture that you uh, that was actually on the examiner, that that is 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 shocking. To be quite honest, but I if I be quite honest, I I photographs on my phone, and they would they would they would, they would, they would they you, you just lose. You couldn't believe the pictures that I have on my phone. I know, I know. Were the dogs found, located? No, no, no. 
Okay. And they say, what we're afraid of is when a dog gets a taste of blood after killing these sheep, it, it, more than likely they will come back again. Yeah. And that's our biggest threat. That's our biggest worry now at this very moment. It's the time it of year when the again. weather's improving, the days are getting longer, people are bringing their dogs out to run around fields and run around the countryside and no harm in that whatsoever. But please, please, please keep them None away whatsoever. from farms and from sheep, says you. Oh, 100%. I have no problem. Listen, everyone, everyone must do their own thing, but they, people have to take responsibility for their dogs. Yeah. And they're not. A certain amount. Now, there's other people and they're very good, being quite honest, but there's just this minority that's not doing what they're being told. Yes. And that's that's what's after happening last week to our sheep. It's more important than ever. I know the law says you must keep your dogs on a leash. I know that people do take their dogs out to the country and let them off for 10 minutes to run around yes. after a ball. There's no harm in that most of the time. But at this time of the year, keep your dog on a leash at all times. Oh, 100%. 100%. Because you're, um, the sheep would be lambing away and, you know, you don't want to be disturbing the poor sheep that's when she's lambing. And then if a dog comes up and half her, they're more, they're more likely maul and kill the lamb. It's awful. It's awful. Dan, I'm sorry for what you and your family are going through, particularly your two little daughters. I know one of them wants to be a vet and is devastated by this. Dan, thank you. Um, that's Dan Cronin out at Lower Killeen's near Blarney. We all love to bring our dogs out. We all love to have them run around the field. This is the kind of time of year when you get them out and you give them a run, stretch the legs, chase a ball, take them off the lead for half an hour or 20 minutes, whatever. Please, for this few weeks, don't do that. Get one of them big long leads that stretches for 10 or 15 or 20 yards and let them run to the end of that. But don't put anyone else through what Dan and his family are presently going through with the loss of their of their sheep. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Six to nine a.m. on Corks ninety six FM. When we were up in Andorra, I filed one of their listeners, girl I suppose called Kara, and um, I suppose look, I kind of followed her around for a few days, and you know I fancied pants off her. And uh, when we came back, we met up again a few times. You're coming back to me on your tenth anniversary this morning. Ten years, ten four kids, all off the back of the fact that we organised the ski trip for you. So you owe me your life, basically. Yeah, you owe me your life sentence. <laughs> <laughs> That's really lovely. Mark. So, is there, yeah. is there anything we can do for you for your 10th anniversary? Yeah, so I'm looking for a mug off you for the wife. <laughs> she got one 10 years ago. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning. You can now order your 231 electric Skoda Enyaq from No DC Cars. Skoda Sales Dealer of the Year. Exclusively Skoda in the City. Mention of uh, Owen English, by the way, thanks to Owen, uh, he broke that story in the Examiner. We were able to get in touch with with Dan uh, following that. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Another story that is ongoing and has been ongoing since before Christmas is the shortage of medication in the chemists and even in supermarkets. Stuff that you buy over the counter has been in very short supply. At one point recently, I read that there were two hundred and forty 
different medications in short supply. Uh, Dr. John Sheehan, Councillor Dr. John Sheehan, uh, GP in, in Blackpool, joins me. It is still ongoing, John. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yes, it certainly seems to be an ongoing issue and it looks like it's going to continue. And on a weekly basis, we're getting um, emails from pharmacists saying certain medication isn't available or that's in short supply or they may not have it in for a number of weeks despite their their, their best efforts. And then they're, we're, we're trying to find alternatives and they're trying to find alternatives. And there seems to be a number of issues um, behind it, PJ. Part of the reason, I think, is because um, our, our friend Brexit has happened and traditionally Ireland used to be in with the UK as term, in terms of a market for, for a lot of the companies. And now we've had to rejig those supply chains and link us with France and Germany and other countries in the EU. And I think that probably has affected our supply chain. The other big issue, I think, that is arising out of this is most of the medications that tend to be in short supply tend to be older medications. Yeah. And increasingly, the profit margin for them is probably a lot lower. So there's less and less companies manufacturing it, or they may be manufactured in either one or two plants and marketed by two or three companies. And then, of course, when that plant runs into any difficulty, it affects the supply all over the place. And we're seeing that more and more. And it seems to be the long-term medications that are out a long time that are probably the profit isn't huge with I them see. and really I think in at an EU level we probably need to look at you know what's essential you know aspirin is essential but I'd imagine the profit in it isn't huge yeah. and you know get a list of these sort of essential medicines and ensure that we have a continuation of supply yeah. of them. There's a thing there John that came up in the course of discussing this since Christmas and even before Christmas we make a huge range of pharmaceutical products right here in Ireland. For example, we're a huge producer of paracetamol, Kelpol, all these things. They're made here. So why would they be in such short supply if we're making them down the road? It's a good question because we're one of the world leaders in pharmaceuticals. And I think it really much has to do with the supply chain. It has to do with the contracts. It has to do with how these things are distributed. And it also has to do with the fact that increasingly there's probably maybe one or two factories making these for multiple companies under contract or or under some license agreement. And that increases the vulnerability. If you have seven plants making something and one of them goes, has some difficulty, the others can pick up the slack. But if you have one or two big plants making it and they're making it for a number of companies and there's an issue with that company or with that factory, then we're in trouble. So we're not necessarily making it down the road to be sold up the road. There's a whole supply chain to, to work its way through and, and that could be problematic. So what, John, what are the major worrying ones at the moment for you as a, as a prescribing GP day to day? What are the worrying shortages for you right now? The, the main worrying ones really, PJ, are ones like an, uh, drugs for epilepsy because very often they're very specific and people usually take a fair bit of time to get used yes. to a certain medication. If you're changing it, you can't just substitute it. You have to wean people off and maybe start a new one. So that inc- can increase the risk of seizures. And that would really will be a big concern um, um, for us. There's a lot of other ones that perhaps there's something that's very similar that you can use. Although what we're finding now is when one drug isn't available, everyone switches to another drug and suddenly that becomes yeah. in short supply because there's a huge demand. But the epilepsy one would be one that, that there's a concern. Yeah. Certainly. I, I saw that last week. You know, there's a the website. I've been saying it to listeners. There's a website you can look up where you'll get a list of the the stuff that's in short supply. What about antibiotics, painkillers, that kind of stuff? Stuff that every 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 mother 
of small children or dad of small children listening to me here this morning, listening to us, they'd want it in the house. That seems to be okay now at the moment. There was a, a after Christmas in January, certainly for a, a number of the antibiotics, there was a significant um, supply. But that seems to have worked its way out now and there doesn't seem to be any issue uh, with that because I suppose the rate of infections and things are beginning to ease off now with the with the spring. So those everyday items, uh, thankfully, they seem to be okay at the moment. There was but I think we need to look at it going into the future because, you know, if our supply chains are, are different post-Brexit, if only a couple of man of companies are doing this we really need to look at you know to make sure that we have security of supply going forward how how would we do that john if we were I think I think it's with regulation. I think you know um, there's there, there are certain things. I think the the HSE or the government can designate it as vital medicines, and, and they can do this at a European level as well. So sometimes that might involve looking at the you know supporting manufacturers to make sure that they're these are manufactured to be sure that there's a strategic supply if yeah. there's a, it's a if there's a big shortage. So you build in some sort of security mechanisms right. for a list of vital med- med- medications. Um, you know, so that that protects it. It's, it's not usually the higher end ones. It's usually the more common ones that yeah. there's problems with. Okay. Are you thinking in terms of like we have to have a, a certain mandatory stock level at all times? I think that's certainly one option. Um, and also looking at manufacturing process. For instance, if one factory is only making it, that's an intrinsic vulnerability um, to that supply chain. So if that factory goes into trouble, um, then then there, there's huge shortages. So maybe we need to look at that. You know, do do a couple of companies have to come together, or a couple of factories have to do it, so that the supply can be guaranteed and can be upscaled if needed. Just a couple of other things that were in short supply and have been for quite some time. It's kind of an ongoing thing. That would be some HRT treatments for the menopause and also Ozempic, the diabetes drug. That was in short supply too. It certainly is, and that that's still in short uh, supply, um, PJ. The HRT one seems to be resolved. There seems to be good supply of that now, and I think probably that became uh, the company underestimated the increase in demand. Um, so there was a catch-up period, but that seems to be be rectified now, and there seems to be reasonably good supply of that. The Ozempic, because it's it's used for diabetes, but also for a certain number of people, people use it for weight loss as well. Yes, so there's yes. a huge demand for that at the moment. And in the US in particular, there was a massive demand. So that caused a huge shortage of that medication. So people, why people with diabetes now, they're only able to get it week to week or every couple of weeks. And, you know, that causes a lot of a lot of hassle for people. Hopefully that will work its way out. You would imagine the companies will upscale the production of it and things like that. But um, that certainly is in short supply. There's no doubt about that. And, and lastly, doctor, if someone is concerned about their medication, particularly if they're on long term meds for something like, say, diabetes or epilepsy or anything like that, or any member of their family is first port of call, your doctor maybe get a generic prescription. Absolutely, absolutely. Are the pharmacists? The pharmacists are brilliant at this, and they really know their patients, and they know what might might work. There's some medications if you don't have them for a week or two, that's fine. But there's other ones you have to have them every day. And the pharmacists are really good, and uh, talk to your GP as well. You know. All right. Good to talk to you as always, John. Thank you. Thanks, PJ. Mind yourself. Cheers. It's still there. There's still a shortage, and you'll notice it's the stuff that's not particularly profitable anymore. However. A lot of those things that aren't profitable anymore are essential for people to take them every day. Take epilepsy medication, for example. A lot of the epilepsy medication is very cheap. We don't know that because it's covered on long-term illness. If you have an epileptic in the family, it's covered on long-term illness. We don't know what it costs, but it is. A lot of the epilepsy meds are dirt cheap. 
So when they're dirt cheap, there's no profit in it, and therefore there's no incentive to make more when we run short. There's a lot in what John is saying. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The lines are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 996. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. 0818 969696 is the number. And the text or WhatsApp in particular, text me or WhatsApp me. The woman you would give a medal to, if you could, to mark International Women's Day. A lot of love, a lot of love for a dear pal and a good friend of the show, Kate Durant, Blarney woman. Well, originally she came here for a month and never left. But Blarney woman, Kate Durant, what she's not stuck in, what she's not involved in, what she's not taking part in for the good of her community. Lots of people mentioning Kate. Uh, Katrina Toomey, lots of love for Katrina Toomey uh, and would be others coming up uh, one or two votes for the Queen Bee um, Woman of the Year for putting up with me yes that that's without question or, or doubt uh, <laughs> how she hasn't run kicking and screaming from the room many years ago is, is beyond me but 0818 96 96 96 or preferably text or whatsapp 083 396 96 96 for your nominee. Who would we give a medal to if we could for International Women's Day? I'm joined on the programme now to chat in the context of Women's Day by someone who back in the day, well, it's only four years ago now, uh, four or five, nearly five years ago, captured the last seat in the country in the local elections, the very last seat in the country and took nearly nearly a week to do it. And then in 2020, got herself elected to the Doyle for Cork Southwest. And halfway through the first tallies on the morning of the count, people were whispering, watch Holly. And last week, she became leader of her party, the Social Democrats. And she joins me to mark International Women's Day, the new leader of the Social Democrats, West Cork TD, Holly Cairns. Holly, congratulations on your appointment and election as leader last week to start with. Good morning. Thank you so much, PJ. And and a happy International Women's Day to you. Um, I don't necessarily want to talk about politics this morning. This is more about you. And I'm only reading up on you uh, since you became leader. I remember your mom, And I remember your mom being arrested in, for selling stuff at what subsequently paved the way for many a farmer's market. So your background, tell me about it. Yeah, my mum would have been a really big impact on my life and she still is today. We're really close. When you were talking about the women of the year, there, I was thinking I picked my mother. But um, I suppose she's she's an activist. And after even the local election that you referenced there, people said to me at that time, oh, it's not off the stones that you licked it. And that's when I kind of realised, I was like, am I just turning into my mother in a, in a different way? But um, yeah, I grew up on a small dairy farm in West Cork on the Turkhead Peninsula in a beautiful part of the country. And my mum was the farmer, um, 
my parents separated when I was four, so um, she, she was tough for her. That's why I say she's a role model. Mm. Um, she's an exceptionally strong woman. And yeah, then, you know, like a lot of small farms, ours became unviable. The more kind of the, the sector intensified became the way that you needed to kind of be on a bigger farm to really make a living off it. And so our farm became kind of unviable in that sense. And we went into beef production. Uh, that too became unviable. And we still do have some beef cattle on the farm. But now the folks of the farm became uh, seed production. We do organic vegetable seed production, mm. um, which I can go into a bit more if you like. But We will in um, a minute. But but Ma- Madeleine's your mum's name. She, she, she paved the way, didn't she, for what we now know and are, free, are, are f- very fond of. The wonderful far, farmers markets around. She paved the way by by landing in court in two thousand and was it three? Yeah, <laughs> yes. tell it. Tell me about that. I actually remember at the time, Vijay, because I was a teenager. Like I remember just being mortified because <laughs> I was also a big supporter of her. But you know, at that age, you find your parents so embarrassing. And I remember it was the class above me in secondary school were going like on a CSP trip or something to the courts and my mum was up in court so I remember just being scarlet but um, she was amazing yeah basically I mean the the whole like I mentioned there the kind of we've experienced politics rather than being in it as a family in that sense of a farm becoming unviable I think a lot of um, people who grew up on small farms would be able to relate to that and I suppose you need to produce more for less and ultimately, the money maker there is the supermarket. It's not the farmer. It's not the consumer. It's the supermarket. Mm. So the idea of a farmer's market is that you take away that middleman and it gives small producers an opportunity to, to make a living and for people to buy directly from the producer. You know, as consumers, we have a right to know that food is produced. The food we're eating is produced in a fair and ethical way. And so she felt really strongly about the need for farmer's markets and that direct contact with the producer. And... She had kind of looked into it and there's market rights in Skibbereen, which is our local town. And uh, the the rights still existed. So she was trying to set up the market and there was big resistance, you know, mm. not just from the local authorities and everyone, but at the time as well, like some businesses, you know, because they thought that it wasn't a great idea, that it might take businesses away from the, the businesses in the town on the main street and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and she was so adamant and she really fought for it and yeah, it got to a point where they were saying you can't trade there and she was saying I actually can um, you know, the, the bylaws still exist they've never been abolished and um, there was one day then yeah, the, the guards came and actually arrested her and she was put in a cell they took her shoelaces and everything uh, my memory of that is I remember missing my hair appointment without a haircut at that age um, and like I said, being embarrassed but at the same time I was very proud of her. Remember, she obviously won in court, and if she wanted to, she could have taken the the state to court for kind of false arrest, false imprisonment, potential loss of earnings, all sorts of things. I don't think she ever got to that, mm. but it paved the way for what is one of the most successful markets in the country, yeah. and it brings so many people into Skibbereen Town every Saturday because the market is so amazing and so thriving. Yeah. And it's one of the few markets today that still isn't uh, regulated by the local authority; it's independently run. There's a kind of a a committee that's elected democratically and there's the treasurer and the chair and they all run the market and the way it works is Khan who's one of the producers in the market and he sells eggs and potatoes and we actually he's our cattle dealer as well on the farm but he sells he goes around and he collects money from all of the stallholders and so if you do well that week you might give a bit extra if you're coming in and selling a few buns and you're on your school holidays you might not make a contribution yeah. whereas the other markets you have to have the, all of this kind of rigmarole of 
you know, form filling and insurance and signing up and paying for your membership. And it can be quite exclusive. You're in, you're out. And then you get rid of the joy of the markets often where you have young kids in with Christmas cards they made and they're selling them during their Christmas holidays or somebody who's starting up a business and maybe can't afford to go about all of that. So the way that the Skibbereen one is run today is still an example that I would hold up so high in terms of a a kind of a model for how markets should be run because it's standout and it did kind of pave the way for other markets because once that was established in court that they had a right there was a that was applied to other places yeah. as well. You yeah. went on then to study uh, farming or horticulture. So growing up on the farm, clearly that directed you initially career-wise, did it? Yeah, well, not initially. I was certainly one of those students in school PJ who didn't have clue what I wanted to do. Um, a lot of my friends were really clear on their path. You know, they wanted to be a social worker, they wanted to be a lawyer, they wanted to be an architect and all of these things. And I envied my peers who had that clear direction. I was um, kind of a confused student and I didn't do very well academically. Mm. And I never really knew what I wanted to do. And I went around trying different things. And it was only kind of when I was older and I was actually, I'd emigrated like a lot of people my age and you know, I finished school in the in the crash in 2008 and I was working in disability services um, that I decided I wanted to move home and take on the family farm and business when I kind of realised the importance of seed and food security and climate change and all of these different things that I suppose I was just learning more and more about. And that's when I really started to appreciate what my mother was doing, I think, and decided I want to move home and do that. And then, of course, that was around 2015. So the marriage equality referendum was called here. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to move home sooner so I can vote for that because I just thought that was such an important thing to Mm -hmm. vote for. And that's when I came back and did the master's in UCC in organic horticulture. And I did my master's research on the importance of locally adapted seed in the face of changing climates. And that was making me really disillusioned and frustrated with Irish agricultural policy. And obviously I'd grown up with a frustration around that because of small farms becoming unviable and all of those things. And then learning the science behind it and how ridiculous their decision making is was kind of, I think I was getting more and more politically outraged perhaps. And then it was actually when the referendum on repeal was called and I was out canvassing all the time. That's when I realised knocking on doors asking for votes, that's how you change that policy. We can do all the things in the world in our farm to try and, you know, preserve uh, native Irish seed varieties. 90% of those are gone, by the way. We can do all the things in the world to try and sequester carbon. We planted half the trees in native forestry. We produce organic beef on the farm, all of these things. But unless you can actually change, you know, the national policy, it's not going to have a profound impact, you know? So I had that realisation that this is how you change it. We have a democratic system. We're in charge of how our country is run by virtue of who we elect to run it. And I thought, I'm going to go for it. Me and two of the women that I met. Therein lies the inspiration. Therein lay the inspiration. I think the first time you and I ever spoke, actually, Holly, was about seeds and and your seed company, Brown Envelope Seeds. That's the first time. First time. I ever did. Yeah, first time. Um, Talk to me about the, being away. You were in Malta. Now, that happens to be one of my favourite places, a tiny little island. In fact, to be fair, it's no bigger than a large stone with people on. And did that, because Malta's climate, and I know this from the time I was there to the time my friends have been there, Malta's climate is changing dramatically. It's getting uncomfortably hot now. Did being there stimulate your interest in climate change? Or were you always interested? 
Uh, I did. It didn't. I don't think in that sense it did. No, it stimulated my interest in other things like disability support services, yeah. working in them there, and how much of a profound impact good services can have on somebody's life. I really learned that there and made me feel very frustrated about the kind of situation we have in Ireland. Um, They're very good no, to people there. Very good to people. Yeah, head and shoulders um, punching above their weight in terms of, like you said, Malta is about 26 miles long, six miles wide and has the population cork in it. Yeah. It's an interesting country and it's similar to Ireland in lots of ways because it's an island nation. It has its own language and it has English because it was colonised. Um, there's lots of similarities between us. It's a predominantly Catholic country, all of those things. They vote the same way as we do. And they have the same voting system, you're right. Um, so there's lots of similarities, but truth be told, I didn't, the change in climate there didn't inspire me. That's just the truth, yeah. Yeah, yeah, still an interesting experience. And the disability services, that, that's, that's, they're, they're famous for that. So come back then and talk to me about getting, getting into politics. You've told me what was, what, what I suppose inspired you to get into it. Um, and I noted, and we've talked about it before, this mad crazy, was it nine days in 2019? And getting in at the end of it by a fistful of votes. I know, I often um, speak to schools about the importance of voting and I always say to them, in my first ever election, I lost by one vote. And the room goes, oh... And I go, but I called a recount and I won by one vote. And it just goes to show just the importance of every single vote. And for any of your listeners, actually, it's important to note that the voting registration system has recently been updated and it's made it significantly easier to vote. It used to be kind of convoluted and complicated and a bit of a deterrent, to be honest. And now you can do it quite quickly um, online. So just to highlight that to people, the importance of your vote is huge. But I mean... As well, I think it's been huge. That one vote has had such an impact on my political trajectory Indeed. because, like you said, then the general election was only, I think, seven months later. That's and right. if I hadn't had that platform on Cork County Council, um, you you could maybe, it's hard to know, it's kind of a what-if question, but it's probably unlikely I would have taken um, the seat in Cork Southwest if I hadn't gotten that council seat by one vote. And then... To fast forward to today, I wouldn't have become the leader, obviously, of the Social Democrats. So it has been a roller coaster, you know. What we were watching, people who are into elections and counts and numbers and silly things like that, we were saying coming into the election in 2020, well, there's Holly, Holly Cairns now. She was that county councillor, last one in the country. She's young, she's popular, she'll bring in a vote. But it's not what her vote is, it's where her transfers will go. That's what we were watching. And then when the tallymen got their hands on the votes, they were watching transfers flying over to you from all sides. Was that a big surprise to you in 2020? Yeah, like particularly in the last count, we needed um, a significant amount of transfers to get over. But I had, because when you're the candidate at the tally, you can't be a full-time tallyer in case you need to do media or different bits like that. So at different times I was tallying the second preferences when everyone else was telling the first preferences. And I did see that I was going to do well on those transfers. And the thing is, like, I was told it was impossible that I'd get a seat in the Bantry local electoral area, which I did that time by one vote. I was told there's no way I'd get a seat in Cork Southwest. Like, people literally laughed in my face when I said I was going for these elections. But PJ, the thing that I had learnt from back to that time knocking on doors for the repeal of the 8th referendum was, for one, open and honest conversations have a very big impact. 
you know, they're so important. That's what we had on the doors during repeal. That's how I was trained to canvass, you know. Mm. And secondly, that when you offer Irish people a progressive alternative, there's a very good chance they'll take it. Mm. So I kind of knew that the appetite for that kind of positive and progressive change was out there, even though people keep kept telling me that it wasn't. I had felt it and I'd seen it and I'd spoken to all of these people. I'd knocked on all of these doors. And like, I, I feel that so strongly now, today in this moment, that there is a huge amount of people out there who, like me, just feel I felt so unrepresented. Mm-hmm. And like, I you know, we always had this government that instead of leading the kind of change, the positive kind of change that promotes equality, they're always being dragged along by the people. And wasn't it high time we had the kind of representation that would lead that change? Because mm-hmm. Ireland proves itself to be so progressive and fair when we're met with like yes or no decisions like that. Mm. Landslide, yes, for marriage equality, for example, you know. Yeah. And I just think it's high time we brought that into our our national politics. And this is the time that the tide is turning. We can all feel it in Irish politics. I think since the foundation of the state, we've had kind of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, and that makes sense because of our civil war. We've got a very unique history. And people, we've identified with those parties almost like we identify with their nationality. You'd say nearly like, I'm Irish. And people would say, I'm Fianna Gael. You know, it's kind of, it's an unusual thing that we have here. And people are not thinking about the policies historically. Yeah. But now, I think because of the crash, the, the politicians bankrupt in the country and then the housing crisis, people are starting to move away from that. They're going, I'm not represented actually in yeah. this anymore. And they're looking for something else. And this is the time. So I feel like in order for a party like mine that's younger, I think that's a positive because we don't, we're not stuck in our ways, not the old policies, the old politics, the jobs for the boys. It's essential we have a party like that. But in order yeah. for us to grow, we need to reach people who were like me four years ago, who are on the in the car, maybe listening to the radio to politicians who are on the sofa watching a political program going, this is ridiculous. Yeah, We need to reach those people. And I hope they'll be well placed as the leader to do that. That's why I decided to go for it. Yeah. As somebody who felt just like that not long ago, because we don't have a well-oiled machine in every constituency, canvassers for every box, like the older parties do. Yeah. So we need yours is people a, who are listening. Yours is a smaller party. A smaller yes. party and 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 it's growing quickly. Yes, <laughs> so yes. We need but, people who might not have felt like politics, heard them, felt them, had anything to do with them, to join us. Yeah. I'm actually making the call out that I need you to help. You know, yeah. we can't do this on our own. I believe there's, the, I think there's the support there if we can build quickly, yeah. provide the candidates, and then get a big mandate to have an yeah. impact on the I, next government. And I will come back to that because we're going to have an election probably within eighteen months. Um, but but. Stay with the getting to know Holly Cairns for for a minute yeah. longer. Like when you're not on the farm or canvassing, I'd love to know who taught you to canvas, by the way, because I am told that you canvas like a small machine. That's, that, you know, I'd love to know who taught you how to canvas. <laughs> but, but, um, like, what do you, what, what do you do to relax? What do, what do you do to, to chill out? Walk my dog. Mm. It's probably my favourite thing to do. At the moment, there isn't much in the way of free time for things like that. And I suppose that's what I find myself prioritising. Um, time with family and friends seems more and more scarce the more I go into politics. So that's the number one priority as well. And probably quite literally my favourite thing to do as well. There, there are not much time for relationships there was one very publicly talked about one that's that's gone now but there's no time for relationships is it is it a is is it a lonely life 
sometimes? Oh, no, I do make time for my partner. Absolutely. Um, obviously, you know, I'm very busy and I spend half the week in Dublin, but I always can't wait to get home to him and the dog at the, at the end of the week, you know. I understand it's important to do that too. Dog first, maybe. Yes. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, Holly, more women in politics. Everybody talks about it. And on this international Women's Day, on your own experience, getting to where you are now, which is, I think, the youngest party leader in the history of the state and certainly the youngest female. What have you learned from that experience to get more, particularly young women, into politics? I've learned, number one, that we need more women in politics. I can't tell you how desperately we need it. I think the keys in the word public representative and then 50% of the population just are not adequately represented up here. And I think we can really see and feel that in in policy decisions. And like, PJ, I think the best example is actually today, you probably saw that, the government saved the announcement for International Women's Day to say, oh, we're fine, 2023, we're going to have a referendum to remove the line from the Constitution because that. a woman belongs in the home. And I just thought that was so distasteful because yesterday they said they're going to lift the ban on evictions. And if you're really talking about having an impact on women's lives, like the, the decision yesterday is a kick in the teeth for women, for carers, for people with responsibilities for caring. Like, it's something like the single biggest determining factor as to whether a child lives in poverty or not is whether they grow up in a one-parent family. And, like, something like 20% of the population families are, are made up of single-parent families, but they account for over 50% of the people in, living in homelessness. Yeah. And so they're like, what, what is the point? Of, and the, it's just so kind of, I think, out of touch with the reality of the challenges that women face in this country to say, oh, we're going to have a referendum on that and announce it with great fanfare. The fact that it's even in, still in the Constitution in 2023 is shameful. They shouldn't be having a big fanfare about it. But the thing is, there are barriers in the place of women all the time. If they want to remove the thing from the Constitution of having women in, in the home, well, what about childcare? What about looking at the carer's allowance? What about all of these things? Mm. And crucially, to have more women in politics, we'd have better decision-making for women all over the country and that's just the key because I think look if we had the opposite like all women and, and very few men we'd probably see the same thing that men's issues might not be as represented we've just never experienced that this is the problem but there's barriers in place all the way so there's like for example no maternity leave for city and county councillors that was one of the first pieces of legislation I worked on when I got elected mm. and now we have that which is great that's yeah. so welcome but the other barriers that are actually harder to overcome are the ones in terms of, like, when you break it down, what happens at an election? Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have been returning the majority of the seats. And they basically decide through their branch, branches, through their party structures, who the candidates are. And it seems like a lot of, you know, when you've got an institution that's kind of older and then it can be kind of stuck in its ways and everyone in it can be kind of institutionalised and it's difficult then to spur change. It seems like they've tried, they've invested hundreds of thousands in it, and they can't seem to engage more women in politics. And they do things like put women on the ticket mm. to sweep up votes for their chosen candidate to meet their gender quota. Like that's blatantly yeah. not trying to get women elected. Is it, time, is it time for a quota? I don't know how you'd work it, but is it time for a Doyle quota that the Doyle must be made up of a certain percentage of men and a certain percentage of women? 
I think so, because look, we've waited 100 years now for it to happen organically. And people keep saying, oh, the better approach would be if we just try and make that happen in other ways. But like 100 years later, not working. And look, gender quotas are a blunt instrument. And, you know, there's kind of the presumption that somehow like women love them, like nobody wants to be kind of feel like they're there on a gender quota either. But they're an instrument that works. Mm. And look, I think when you look at it, like, for example, in, in my party, the Social Democrats, we're the only party in the country that doesn't have a problem with our gender balance. We actually have more female TDs elected and we have more female city and county councillors elected across the country. But we're the only party in the country like that. And I think, you know, it's it's so evident. Like, how can you say that you're going to govern a society that promotes equality if that doesn't even exist in the party? And I think that's why we're always so far away from those milestones in the country, because we have these old institutions like doing things the same old way, that yeah. same old style of politics. I and mean, you can see it when there's a new party, something new. We don't struggle with that at all. I don't even, you know, I don't even know what they spend that money on when they're trying to engage more women in politics. We don't have a problem with that in the Social Democrats. Yes, yes. Uh, lastly, and I think you, you did mention your mum and, and how she was such an activist. And I remember, I, mean, I was wondering, where does the McKeever come from in your name? And then I saw, I, I remember that. But yeah. who inspires you, Holly, to keep going, to keep doing what you're doing, to give you the ambition you clearly have? Who inspires you day to day? Like, it's difficult to know where to start with that because, for example, Catherine and Roisin stand out a lot in my mind. The, yes, the two amazing yeah. women who just, yeah, who just stepped down from the leadership and I've only known them for four years, but they have had a profound impact on my life in those four years. They stood out to me before I went into politics and I wouldn't have had a political home to go to if they hadn't founded the party. I think we underestimate what a challenge it is to start a political party in this country and to build it. They tripled their TDs in the last election. They got 21 councillors in their first council election. Like, it's phenomenal what they did. And they're an incredible support to me every day, you know, so they really do inspire me. Um, There's also, PJ, like, when I'm doing this job and I meet different families all the time, and look, the biggest issue facing us at the moment is the housing crisis and people struggling and, you know, getting notices to quit and stuff, that is an inspiration to actually change this government. They've shown it today. They're not even trying to pretend that they want to keep people in housing anymore by lifting that eviction ban. But crucially, one of the things for me personally is when I meet families of children with a disability mm-hmm. or disabled people, individuals, and the struggles that they face every day, the discrimination. Ireland has the lowest employment rate in all of Europe for people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Like, it's an absolute scandal the way disabled people are treated in this country. And it is something that the government can and should address, and they don't. The political will isn't there. And that, like, it's quite a, it, it's quite a black and white, in a way, issue, because they can do it, they don't do it. The need for just a change in our governance is so evident for me when I meet those families, people at the absolute end of their tether, struggling to make ends meet. They come out to meet me and the the things they have to go through, even just to be able to do that. Yeah. And there's a government there who isn't bothering to address it at every single budget. 
that inspires me <laughs> to go forward and try and change this. All right, listen, it's been a pleasure to, to talk with you. I've no doubt we'll have more forcible, politically based uh, discussions in the future. But for today on International Women's Day, uh, thank you for being with me. Holly Cairns, leader of the Social Democrats. Thank you. Cheers, Holly. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Right now, the chance to hear our clue today for our competition with Carrigline Furniture and Carpets. A 1500 euro voucher could be yours on Friday to spend on any. Anything within their four walls, respa mattresses and beds, quality flooring and carpets. We want to know who's bouncing on our bed today. Who is this? But I, you know, like I said, I would, I would like to maybe have more children. So it'd be up to them, you know, because I only just now feel like I've caught up on my sleep from nine years ago. There you go. Who is that? Her name and yours, please. To 083 396 9696. We've also been looking this morning, given that it is International Women's Day, looking for the, the woman to which you would give a little medal, if you could. Sinead, in the UK. Hi, how are you? Hi. Your mum, not only would you nominate her, but she has a special birthday today. She does, and I wouldn't just nominate her now for a medal. I'd give her the biggest trophy, the biggest cup. I'd give her the World Cup if I could. Mm. It's no coincidence. Now her birthday fell on Women's International Day. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And she's 60 today. Is she? A roundy yeah. one. She is. She's a Blackpool-born and bred girl, and she's salt of the earth. She just inspires everyone. When she grows, she takes everyone with her. She puts everyone before herself. She's the biggest heart, and if there were more people in the world like her, it'd be a much better place. You're you're clearly Cork. Um, oh yeah, out the door. <laughs> you couldn't lose that if you tried. What what brought you to the UK? What part of the UK are you in, Sinead? I'm in Leeds. My husband plays football over here, so we moved over there oh. a good bit back. So she's always over to us every chance she gets. She's <laughs> 
she might as well be living with us. She's so good. She fly over and help us out any time she get because we've three kids and she's just brilliant. And I just miss her every single day. And so it's a big one today for us. She's sixty, and we miss our lords. You won't, you won't get home for the big one, eh? Uh, no, no. She's going to try to get over now, though. She's going to try to get over. She's only back from Australia. She only oh. got back from Australia last night. So she said, you know what? She said she might as well just go off. She went over to my cousin Patrick, who's also a cock boy, and she went over there for nearly a month. Right. So she had a ball. She had a ball. Uh, a good night's sleep now, and she might head over. She, oh, yeah. She'll be probably ready to party on now, I'd say, hopefully, with all her friends and family. <laughs> what's, what's her name and where does she live? Rosario O'Brien, and she's from Blackpool. Well, listen, happy 60th to Rosari, who uh, celebrates her birthday, International Women's Day. Sinead, who's in, in Leeds, uh, thank you very much for that. Anybody that you'd like to nominate for the medal, the trophy, although they're all going to be in Rosari's cabinet by the sounds of things. Thank you, Sinead. 0818969696. There are others that have come in. A few more comments, by the way, on the Burke family, and I'll get back to that. A lot of love, like I said, a lot of love in the room for Kate Durant and indeed for Katrina Toomey. Anyone else that you would nominate if you could give a little medal for International Women's Day? Who would it be? 0818 966966. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 25th to 27th to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services. You made me feel Every year we speak to people touched by cancer. So if you've got a story to tell, we'd love you to get in touch. Simply email radiothon at 96fm.ie to find out more. The Giving for Living Radiothon, supporting Cork Cancer Services, May 25th to 27th. You made you feel only on Cork's 96FM. Reminded to you, March is Irish Music Month on Cork's 96FM in association with Hot Press. And we're supporting, committed to supporting and discovering new Irish music. On Sunday, we've got the final of the Cork's 96FM Local Hero Talent Search. We had hundreds of entries. And Goldie Bronson... Andy Strafe and Leah will now battle it out for a place in the national final. The overall winner gets 5,000 in cash, 5,000 worth of equipment. Their single will be released by Ruby Works Records and they'll get guaranteed radio play on 25 radio stations. The uh, local final, the local hero live performances, you can hear them this Sunday from 6 on Cork's 96FM with Select Irish, uh, hosted, of course, by Shane Books. All part of Irish Music Month. It's Irish Radio supporting Irish artists in association with Hot Press, the IBI, and the BAI Sound and Vision Fund. 0818 96 96 96. I will come back to correspondence on various matters in the fullness of time. But we're just busy this morning. Gráinne, this did you start to do this yourself off the top of your own bat or how did it come about morning good morning pj um yes well i funnily enough was listening to or watching the late late during covid and they were 
talking about alone, the organisation that supports older people who are living alone. And they were looking for volunteers um, because they were um, setting up a dedicated phone line. They do have a national phone line that people can ring into, but this was to actually ring people every week at a certain time. So I thought, you know, the circumstances in my life um, allowed me to have some time to do it. So I sent them a little tweet and... Uh, yeah, so basically I started off my own bat, but it was um, uh, off the whole um, advertising that Alone had done, looking for volunteers. So on behalf of Alone, you call people, um, just yes. people. And, and how are those people selected? They're, they're elderly, I think. They're older people, yeah. They're, um, some are uh, older than others, but um, I do telephone calls twice a week, but I also visit an older person in my locality here in West Cork. And... Um, so basically, these people would self-refer. So they might ring the National um, Alone Helpline if they're on their own, they're vulnerable, they're lonely, they just want to have a chat or they might need practical support. And then out of that, their needs would be assessed. And then maybe they might get a call once a week, twice a week or sometimes daily from uh, volunteers like myself, five days a week. Mm. Did the pandemic make things worse, make people more lonely? Oh, hugely, PJ, Absolutely. I mean, it was actually shocking, um, you know, how isolated people were. Um, and not just in rural areas, in the urban um, centres as well, because, you know, neighbours might not have known neighbours if new people had moved into um, estates and that. There were people who didn't see their families, their grandchildren. Some people didn't have family living in Ireland. So it was shocking, uh, the isolation and loneliness that was out there during the, the lockdown. So when you go to meet someone, like what, how does it go? Is it just a, an informal chat? Is there a how are you, Tom? How are you? Kind of start to it, or or, or how does it how does it work? Initially, um, there'd be a local support coordinator from alone who would be on the ground meeting these people, assessing them, and then I would go with that person uh, with the alone support coordinator to the home of the person that I visit. And then every week after that, I give my uh, lady a call on a Tuesday and I'll go and visit on a Wednesday. So I literally just uh, arrived. The person that I go to support um, had some mobility issues. So we go for a little walk if the weather permits. And then we come back into the house and we'll have a cup of coffee and a chat. Mm. You get some great stories, and- I'd say. Oh, fabulous. I mean, um, you know, even on the telephone calls, the, the people, the lives that people have led the lives they currently lead, you know, their history, they've travelled, the careers they've had. You know, you, you could actually write a book. It's it's fascinating. Yeah, and sometimes they haven't had a chance to tell anybody about that for many years. So when someone is welcoming of that, you just let them talk. Absolutely. That's it, actually. What, what kind of things do you hear, Grania? Um, well, it depends, you know, on the person. Um different personalities sometimes I'll hear you know sad stories about their family situation um, a loss of a a partner a loss of a loved one Um, on the other side of it then I'll hear interesting stories you know one man in particular who was in the merchant navy traveled the world Um, people a lot of people who have returned from living in England and their lives in England as immigrants in England Um, musicians funny stories I've had people read poetry for me sing me songs so, you know, it, it depends. You know, we get on the phone service. I ring the same people pretty much every week. So I get to know them. They get to know me. Um, I get little glimpses into their lives, talk about their family. I tell them a little bit about my family. So we become friends, even though we've never met um, the people on the phone. 
Um, so the whole range, I've heard, I've heard a lot. Um, very interesting. Yes. We live in a society, Grania, I would observe, that is increasingly ageist. And yes. sometimes we look at more our seniors and we don't appreciate what they have done to get to where they are. And we don't appreciate the contribution sometimes that they made to our lives. Even yeah, if we didn't 100%. know them. You're- even if we didn't know them yet, a lot of them would feel invisible. And actually, I spoke to a gentleman yesterday afternoon who told me he gets a call every day from alone. And he, I, I just listened to him, had a chat with him. And he told me that uh, life has changed for him. People don't give him a lift anymore. He has to walk to the shop. He, he said, only for a loan, uh, I wouldn't have anybody. I'd have nobody knocking on my door. I'd have nobody picking me up if it's raining, coming from the shops with my litre of milk, and my bread only for a loan, you know, I, I am invisible. And that was just yesterday afternoon he said that to me. So it was, um, yeah, yeah, and you're right. Uh, people are, we forget that these people had lives and we're all heading in that direction. They've all had lives, careers, families, you know, uh, the, as you said earlier, uh, interesting stories. So they, they have huge amount um, to give to society still. Yeah. And they do give, given the opportunity, they'll take you back 30, 40 50 years and, and they'll tell you stories like they happened yesterday. They have an incredible memory somewhere. Yes, they do. And they just wanted to talk and that's it really. What we uh, what we do in alone is we listen and we give them the opportunity and we're also non-judgmental. So, you know, they might tell us things on the phone that they might not tell a family member or a neighbour, but they'll tell us. Um, we don't judge, we listen, we let them talk and mm. tell their story. Is the world getting a bit technical for them? I'm thinking of my own mum, who's fairly good now, to be fair. She can manage an iPad and a mobile phone, yeah. but gets constantly confused by the television. And, and I go over yeah. frequently <laughs> to do in 10 seconds what she's struggling to do. That's just part of being nearly 82. But do yeah. they struggle a bit with, with technology? They do. They would, yes. Yeah, some of them would, and some of them are fantastic. Some of them are better than myself. Um, and again, that would be something that if a, a, an alone volunteer goes into somebody's home, we will, you know, we will support them if they need, if they get a new phone or they need to set it up. We'll help them with that. Um, the support coordinator from alone will also visit the homes, and they they will provide technology for them. Um, they provide Alexas for people and set it up if somebody has broadband in the house. Yeah. So there's a huge amount of support that alone do in the background for people. That's fair. But, I didn't uh, know that. Question, yeah. Oh, they do. Different uh, from a from that point of view alone is fantastic. Um, they were um, partnered with Vodafone there recently, and they did uh, training sessions for people, older people, on technology for the basics. And all around the country, there was courses set up for people. So a lot of the people that I rang would have gone to those courses, and they they found them invaluable. You take take a simple thing like like paying a bill. People, yes, you know, you can no longer, for the most part, anyway, walk up to a counter with a little bundle of cash and pay for a bill. It's nearly all online, and Nine. yes, we yeah. as those who've grown up sort of semi-digital or indeed fully digital natives, we need to take it into account the fact that. Elderly people, seniors, they struggle with the concept of paying everything through the phone or the iPad. 
That's right, they do. Yes, yeah. And a lot of them, PJ, would have family members who would help them. But um, a lot who don't have family support would their uh, loan befriending volunteer would help them with that and would do it online with them or would bring them to the post office to, to pay bills. Mm. There's a huge amount of practical support that's given by the volunteers for, uh, and the alone support coordinators as well. The um, chief medical officer came out last week and said that addressing specifically our seniors, that yes. it is time now and it is okay if you are in reasonably good health at least to come out and get on with your life. Is that Were they frightened, the people that you know and you meet, were they frightened over the last three years, literally to put their head outside the door sometimes? They were, a lot of them were, yeah, a lot were. Some weren't, some were just happy to get on with it and what will be will be kind of an attitude. But for the most part, the majority of them were frightened, yes, they were. Um, And of course, you must remember their day centres and all their little outlets, their bingo sessions, they were all closed. So they had no outlet. So there was the fear, but Mm. there was also the fact that anything that they had to go to and um, to get them out of the house was closed. So it had a huge impact on on the elderly. And they're fearful a lot at that age that their mind will go. And if they can't keep their yes. mind active, their mind will begin to go. That's a real fear. That's, it is, of course. Yeah, it is. And that's why now that things are opening up, you know, I, I can even hear it in people's voices when I ring them. And they tell me how their week was and they went to their day centre or they went just went to the shops or they met an, a neighbour at mass or they went for a coffee with a neighbour. Um, it's it's very, very important. Yeah, the mind is, is the biggest thing. Once, you know, a lot of the elderly people would say, you know, once my mind is good, I'm, ha- I'm happy. Once yes. I can get up every morning and get dressed, I'm happy. Yes. Are they struggling with the cold and the cost of living and things like that? Uh, yeah, they are. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, I'll, I'll ring a lot of people and they'll tell me that um, they're wearing two cardigans and a, and a, and a fleece. Um, some of them will only put the heat on maybe for an hour a day. But again, that's where alone will step in, you know, on the phone lines when we speak to somebody. And if we identify that maybe they're a little bit vulnerable or they might need some more support, I'll refer it into the office of the person who coordinates me on the phone and alone will step in and offer some support and help. So that's where um, I would certainly urge anybody listening who might need the support of alone to certainly get in touch because they're fantastic from that point of view. Um, It's not only the emotional support that they they provide, but they're certainly fantastic from a practical point of view as well. Come back lastly to the, 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 the concept of, of loneliness. There are always people who are alone through circumstance, different circumstance. Yes. Some people are estranged yes. from families. They fell out with families years ago and yes. families don't come near them. And you know, that's a matter between them and families. Yes. But there is a lot of loneliness out there through, through that kind of thing. Yes, yeah, there is definitely. I mean, the the, the calls I probably speak to um, in a week on the phones, maybe twenty to thirty people every week for a loan, and if that's a snapshot of the loneliness that's around the country, it's 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 shocking. It really is shocking, um, and they do say loneliness kills. So it's it's a matter of just you know, and I, I'm probably more uh, mindful of it now when I see a, an older person in the shops. I'd always maybe initiate a conversation with them. It might be the only conversation they've had all day with somebody. Um, Smile at somebody if you're walking down the street, uh, you know, if you're in a queue behind somebody and they're chatting at the post office to the person for a little bit longer, just let them. Let them have the chat. It might be the only chat they have all day. Yes. 
Yeah, they might sound to you like they're wittering on and it's the same yes. conversation you had the last time you saw them. But that might be the only conversation they had all day and that's an incredibly valuable to them. The other thing it is, is, it is. Like, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm in my 50s, I'm not too sure what age you are, but whatever age we are... I'm we similar. All, similar. Right, we all have a, a circle of friends. Their little circle of friends is falling away. Yeah. That's it. That, you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah, it is. And, and the older they get, unfortunately, that's the reality of life. Um, so, yeah, you're right. We're, uh, you know, and you, you talked earlier on your show about waking up every morning, being grateful for having your home. And when I'm making calls uh, for a loan to these people, I, I say the same thing. I'm so grateful that I have my family, my friends, um, colleagues. You know, it's, 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 it is invaluable. Yeah. If anybody wants to volunteer, Gronje, where can they start? Start by going to alone. I'd certainly recommend it. I've been doing it for nearly three years and um, it's a win-win for the volunteer and the older person that, that we support. It's it's brilliant. Um, so it's www.alone.ie, I believe. Are there, will I give their national health plan number as please well? Please do, please do. Yeah, it's 0818 222 mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay, I will repeat that. I know it that. off by heart. I know it off by heart, yeah. I will repeat that. Gronje, continued success with the wonderful work that you're doing. That's Gronje Fee. She's a volunteer with Alone. A lot of loneliness out there and she's doing her little bit in her own time to, to combat it. 0818969696 Sit down and talk to an older person. They have an incredible encyclopedia of stories to tell. Remember a man, was it last year Fergal, we had a man on. His mom is 106 and he was telling me, or I think she's still with us, I hope she is, uh, 106, and he was telling us some of the stories that she used to tell and some of the things that she'd experienced. And we could still be there if we had time to listen. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 the lines are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 996. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96FM. Right, you clear some of your correspondence because it's been a busy one. On the subject of sheep and dogs, chatting earlier with Dan Cronin, who's had a horrible experience. Dogs killed quite a number of his lambs, and some of the sheep might still die because of the stress of it, and it was just a horrible time, and he was appealing to people to keep their dogs on a lead, keep their dogs under control. He appreciates people love to walk in the country. He appreciates people love to bring their dogs, and that the dogs love it. He also appreciates that some people like to bring their dogs out into a field and let the dog off for 10-15 minutes to, to chase a ball. Please not at this time of the year, is what he was saying. Christoph was on then. He said, sorry, I 100% agree with controlling your dog, but the farmers also need to do their part and make sure they're properly fenced in. Hardly a day goes by where I drive to the shop and I don't meet a sheep in the middle of the road. Valid point, Christoph, but you're actually kind of venturing there dangerously into victim blaming a little bit. But 
your point is noted. On the eviction ban, we talked to Oliver Moran from the Green Party. A Green Party rising up against the eviction ban. Um, you can read in your papers this morning, the cabinet members, Green Party cabinet members have turned on the Minister for Housing about the decision to end the evictions ban. And we were teasing it out with Oliver Moran. There seems to be this thing where the Attorney General, and we only know because that's the vibe coming out, that the Attorney General has said to the government, look, that legally, legally, you can't really continue this eviction ban forever. And we were just tossing around the idea that, well, you've got to take heed. If you are in government, you have to take heed of what the Attorney General is saying because the Attorney General is your legal advisor. It's like going to your solicitor and your solicitor gives you a certain a certain advice and you go, well, I'm not, I'm going to do my own thing anyway. Anytime there's something controversial though, says this call, the government simply falls back on the Attorney General. Who runs the country? Can't they put something to the AG that they would like to do and get a path from him or her as to how to do it? The AG thing doesn't wash me at all. That's a very good argument. Another thing the AG is very well paid to do is advise the government on how to form legislation. And that's a very good question. Could, could for example, Dara O'Brien or anyone have gone to uh, Mr. Fanning, the Attorney General, in the last week or month or whatever and said, listen, I want to keep the eviction ban in place. In fact, I need to keep the eviction ban in place. So how do I do it? You're the Attorney General. You tell me how I do it. That's a very good point. Lastly, in this batch, and I'll be with you, Carol, in less than a minute. Kevin says, if landlords want to exit the market, then the state should buy the property of those people who are in receipt of HAP. I think that's part of the proposal on the table, Kevin, I think. The Attorney General also gives advice. Challenge that advice in court because opinions vary. And the government, of course, could also ask the Supreme Court for a ruling. That's a valid point. If, you, if the government disagrees with its own Attorney General, it does have the capacity to bring it to the court and ask the court to rule. They could also give tax incentives to landlords who offer long leases, like 10 or 20 years. This is where we have to move towards. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, now you have major employers saying, we want to employ more people, we want to create more jobs, but there's nowhere for people to live. That's a huge problem and only going to get bigger. Loads more correspondence to clear and I will do that. But, Carol, it's three. It's your daughter, is it, that you'd like to give a medal to? Morning. I would. I would love to give her a trophy. Tell me about her. She's a mom of two little girls and they have been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes within 12 months of each other. Oh my, both of them. Crikey. One is nine and one is four. She does from top to tail everything in life for them. She's a full-time mom, and Elaine is she's a pure inspiration to to them. Yeah, she's just fantastic for all she does for them. She just takes them camogies, she takes them dancing, she takes them to school. She has to do the insulin. She just she's just one in a million. She's she had to learn so much with the yeah. not once but twice. Twice. Yeah, and she's only 33 years of age. Goodness and this me. is a lifetime thing they're going to have. Yeah. Um, she's just a full t- full hands-on mom. There's no getting away from it, like. 
Yeah, and anything like Fantastic. anything like a diabetes in a child, there's so much monitoring, so much care needed. Like, yes, yep. insulin is a brilliant thing and regulates things, and yep. but like little little girls want to go to parties and they want to eat yep. cake. <laughs> Not for them. Yeah, I know. I know. She's actually in the SMA centre at the moment with her with the little one. She's had the pump installed on her for the insulin. What, the younger one? Oh, yeah. Right. She's had that inserted last Wednesday on a trial basis. Right. So today is insulin dependent on that. So right. wow. hopefully all goes well. And um, who looks after Elaine other than Mammy? <laughs> well, her partner's very, very good with her. She he really is like yeah. they're just back to back with each other on this, do you know? Yeah. Mm. And I was diagnosed in 2021 with cancer and she looked after me and appointments and mm. you're okay now oh yeah Good. I got you up there brilliant fantastic yeah I'm on the other side of it she done my appointments with me she dropped me here there and everywhere fantastic and juggled schools and everything she's well, just one in a million well if I had a medal to give out today she's who you'd <laughs> give it to yeah I could I would alright listen Carol thanks uh, Carol Lynch nominating her daughter Elaine for our our big huge medal the with the Patrick Street after Jackie I, I know she was messing PJ what's with the little medal <laughs> okay 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 seriously okay 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 <laughs> it's the size of the county hall your name will be printed in six foot letters on the corner on the side of the opera house <sighs> 0818969696. It is International Women Day, Women's Day. Is there a woman that you would nominate if we had a medal, a trophy to give out, a plaque? God, we'd dedicate the size of a mountain to you now at this stage. Just, just... <laughs> Stop, PJ. You're digging a bigger hole for yourself. 0833969696 if you want to nominate anybody before we finish today. Now, I would have had no idea... A week and a half ago, two weeks ago, about the extent of the migraine issue in our society. I know people get migraines. I've had two in my life and I don't want a third. My wife would be the same. She's had maybe three or four. She never wants another one. We have a friend who has had a lot of them over the years, but takes medication and it works. And when you feel the first sort of an inkling of what's coming, there's medication and things you can do with stuff. But for people who chronically deal with migraine, I didn't know there was... So many of them out there. We were talking last week about vestibular migraine and the number of people that deal with that. And then Delina was on yesterday. She's had migraine since she was 12 and it drives her scatty once a month. And she was wondering, where does she go for advice? Who does she turn to for advice? And then we started getting people contacting us based on what Delina was telling me, thinking, actually, I think that might be hemiplegic migraine and maybe she should go down down that road. Now Tony Kelleher then got in touch. Tony, you have hemiplegic migraine and you am I right here? Did you get a stroke out of it, mate? Good morning. Good morning, PJ Hogan. Is that true? I'm well thank I you. did um a year and a half ago no. What happened? September uh, September twenty one. Um I was just driving to work one morning and only for the fact that I'd picked up one of the boys at the gate I'd say I would have driven into the wall around the bottom. Really? Um, we were just, I would drop him off of where he goes into work and we were chatting away and next thing, 
or more or less sighted gun, speech gun, vision gun. Wow. And you're sitting there in the driver's seat? Yep. We actually were stopped. Um, I had my foot in the breaker either. It was out of gear, but um, it was just pure luck that I actually picked him up because it was raining. Right. So, did he just... What did he say to you? Um, he didn't realise that I was... What had happened. I know he didn't know what had happened. And he said I was out for five minutes. He said it was very strange for me not to be talking for five minutes. So, um, no pain. There was no, nothing like that. Um, it was just, I was just sitting there on the van. I was slumped inside the front seat. And I was there looking at my hands. And I was telling my hands, lift up the handbrake. And there was nothing. And I was calling him. But he said you didn't open your mouth. But I was saying it in my head, but it wasn't coming out. Anything like. So, five minutes later, I came back. Everything had come back, and I turned around and said to him, I says, I was calling you for help. And he said, you were saying nothing, which I found was very strange, he said. So he turned around and said to me, do you want to go see a doctor? So hold on now, so so for five minutes, you couldn't move your left side, you couldn't, you thought you were talking, but you weren't. Yeah. And then it all came back. Yeah, it was like someone flicked the switch and just everything came back. So... I, he just said, "Do you want to go see a doctor?" And he just—I'd say—he just panicked, and I just drove the, drove my van down to the yard, the park, the parking, down to the yard below, and it was just—it was one time where there was no one in the yard. But there's normally thirty, forty fellas in the morning, but I was just running late, and there was one of the lads waiting, and I went over and I said to him, "Look, something strange happened to me above there. I'm not going to come up." So he said, there's no point to scrap, work away. So I said, I'm going to ring the wife to come in and check me. Yeah. And um, I went, as I went off to the van, I copped him. He was after stopping you know, up the street, up the road. And he looked back and he, I was walking, talking for the next stage. And um, I went off to the van, picked up the phone, ringing the wife. Next thing, I collapsed. Uh, stuck between the car and the van. And the wife said, because if I handed the phone to someone else, my voice had changed completely. Wow. And she taught me, get off the phone, ring the ambulance straight away. So a second so, wave, as it were. Second, it was like another a second belt, but I just said collapsed, you know. And it was just strange that there was no one in the air at that time. It was, I don't know why, like. But um, rang the ambulance. Could I tell her where I was? Couldn't see, couldn't, I couldn't remember, I actually couldn't remember where I was, like. Yeah. So I was just sitting there couldn't get up and trying to explain to where I was but I couldn't actually see or name out all I could think was EPS yes and she was sending to the door the other their other factory the other side of us but took a few minutes in and she finally found where I was and my, my phone was beeping mad in the background yeah and I said to her look my wife is probably ringing me to find out what's going on so I said look I'll ring her back in five minutes just reassure her everything's okay and there's an ambulance on the way for you. Right. So I tried to ring her back and I couldn't get a hold of her. So I was thinking, geez, I better ring one of the lads. He might, one of the lads might be out the back. Mm. And he was off on that day. And were you making sense, Tony? Or were no, you struggling with words, no? I was struggling. My speech was slurred, slurred and all that crack. But my vision had, it was all blurred then as well. Yeah. Scary. Oh, stop now. So, um, so I tried to ring foreman and he was in Kentork and there was actually and then around the boss to film just in case 
he came he looked at the cameras and see an ambulance stuck in the yard and saying, well, what's going on here? Mm. So I panicked at that stage because I actually couldn't get up. And I was just, just lying there on the ground, like, and um, he said, relax a second. He said, just ring the ambulance back and calm, calm yourself and all that. And next thing, um, I, he rang his brother-in-law and he came down and he picked me up and put, sat me on the, um, the, the step of the van then and he kind of kept me going kind of thing like yeah and in fairness to the ambulance the paramedic he said it was a stroke symptoms at your head yes but not really we didn't know what it was like so took me up to Cork and uh, went in he signed me over to some he's, I could hear him plain as day that I think it's a stroke this young man is after having mm. and it was grand and it was fine sent down went down to the doctor and all this crack and sat down below and the doctor came in and taught him my history. Mm. Uh, taught him I had a half sec, 10 years, or nine, it would have been nine years at the time. And that's all I was afraid of, that I was after having another banger. Yes. Um, she was only 31 at the time when I had one, a major one, and taught him that. And, oh, we'll put that to one side and we'll concentrate on going down this road. I just ruled, ruled it out, like. Yes. Seemed to have a family history and all that crack. So he came in, oh, it's a seizure you had. And I says, none of my family ever had seizures. And you're there and just four other doctors with him. And he's just telling you all these medical terms and you're just there sitting there on your own. And you no one to back you up. Do and leave my wife in. And we're trying to explain to him. She was freaky out outside saying, what is happening with my husband and all this? Like, and they, with, with COVID and all that crack, they won't leave your partner you were supposed to in like mm-hmm. wow. so um, he he finally came in and taught me oh this is definitely a seizure on this crack and I said hang on a second so I rang the wife then and I said talk to the wife and explained to her so he finally said look I'll send you for an MRI scan we'll send up and he came up he said he'd send me for um, some other scan and it didn't show up on that but it had shown up it came up on the MRI yes 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 and that's um that was fine. I was sent below in number one of the, in the bed. Then I got moved from there down to the close to the door, thinking, oh, nothing to be worried about. Now let's crack next thing. Uh, one of the staff for Ashling Ryan, yeah. she would be over that side of it, came down and she came in and says, um, just actually a stroke is what you had. It was kind of a minor one, is what she said. But I said, it's not stroke. It, 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 it didn't feel minor to you, says you at the time. No, it didn't. Like, so you're sitting there on your own, and you're no one with you, like, yeah. no one to draw. And you're just sitting there next to get moved from there out to the cubicles. Uh, she said that there was a bed upstairs waiting for me. I was going to be moved up there, hmm. but ended up outside in the cubicles out in A and E. Yeah. So I spent the night out there, and then. Until the next morning, my wife had rang. Is my husband above and so and so? And they were like, oh, hang on a minute. And then uh, I could hear one of the nurses come out. Are you Tony Keller? Are you Tony Keller? And this, that, and the other. I was crying. Jesus Christ. <laughs> they'd forgotten where you were. They'd forgotten where they, they'd forgotten where they put me. Uh, so, so how are you now? Now, how did you know that it was a connected to migraine, or have you figured? Have they figured no, that out? Um, it was actually Ashling came in and she. Had, Talk me through it, and that's was actually she said to us, my friend, because I was complaining of uh, pain in my head for 
couple of months beforehand. Right. And with the, the half sec before that, I was on a cardiac watch uh, thing with my with my doctor. So every three months, I'd have to go for a checkup. Yes. And I was due a checkup at that time. So I said, I'd wait till, so instead of going up and wasting my time and stuff, so I said, I'd say it to him when I would go for my checkup that time. Right. Okay, so, so you've been taking painkillers over the counter uh, to deal with the headaches, but these every were every morning, morning, every morning. Right, and these they were it was actually a migraine, and it was warning warning you of what was to come. Yeah, it was just just let you know that there was something wrong with you. But right. me being me, like I kind of was like, I don't have the time to We're we're aren't we terrible fools like that told we men. Yeah. We're worse they, than that. We just put them on the long finger. Absolutely. We don't buy, buy more painkillers. We'll be grand tomorrow. Yeah. We're awful fools that way. It is true. It is true. So, um, I'm depending of what type of stroke or that you have. I would be off for a month, six months to a year, like, because you can't drive. Mm. In that, like, so. And how are you now? I'm uh, still getting pains in my head. I'm just waiting to be, to go from scans and stuff. Right. But like that, you can't be taking pain, taking painkillers every morning. So this was last September, and you're still. Ah, uh, September twenty one. So September twenty one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. and <clears throat> you were, I have you been back to work, or what's the story? Oh, I was back uh, about a month later. I see. So, yeah. This one. <laughs> this one may have put this one. You can't laugh at it. Sure, what's the point? Ain't that the truth? It, it is amazing, though, just how much migraine is out there and how many uh, different versions of it there are yeah like I didn't realise that you could get a stroke from a migraine yeah is what I was told was that I suffered a major a massive migraine and it kinked one of the um, vessels in my brain wow and it just kinked for that couple of minutes and it just released in Crikey. so it took a long it took a good few months for my memory to Names and stuff of boys I've been working with just to remember them and stuff like that. It's just that it took a couple of months to come back and stuff. Okay. Well, like you said, young man, and I know that Delina, who I was talking to yesterday, yeah. she's been getting pains in her head since she was 12 and she still gets them about once a month. Uh, I think the advice is get it looked at. Yeah, I went to the doctor two weeks three weeks ago about it and was just waiting out to be sent back up for scans and stuff. So she probably, she's, she thinks but there's probably nothing will show up in it, like, but then yeah. other doctors, they know. But they you, know had, you had a migraine and it led to a stroke and that's what they're working on at the, as a theory at the moment. Tony, thank you very much. I wish you a continued recovery. That's uh, Tony Kelleher. Migraine, it had, a, had a migraine and it led to a stroke. Migraines, it can happen. The more I hear about migraine, the more I repeat, I've had it twice in my life. I got it once in London, and I had it another time. Actually, I've been away from home both times. I was in London the first time I got one, and I think I was in Dublin the second time. I, I don't ever want to get a third one, and there were only mild ones. 0818 96 96 96. I would nominate both of my daughters for a medal. My youngest, who has additional needs and a complex medical condition since birth, she's the bravest person I know. And my eldest daughter, who has to take a back seat to her sister, but has grown up to be a kind, sympathetic, ambitious young woman, nearly an adult now. They both make me so proud. And you don't sign your name. But that's okay too. 0818 96 96 
96. All right, who's who's bouncing on our bed? But I, you know, like I said, I would, I would like to maybe have more children, so it'd be up to them, you know, because I only just now feel like I've caught up on my sleep from nine years ago. 0818, or sorry, 083, 396, 96, 96. Her name and yours. But, you know, like I said, I would, I would like to maybe have more children, so it'd be up to them, you know, because I only just now feel like I've caught up on my sleep from nine years ago. We have a 1500 euro voucher to be won from Carrigaline Furniture and Carpets. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Question 10. In what comedy series did Mr. Miyagi actor Pat Marisa own a diner? Oh, jeez. Oh. Um, uh, happy days. Yeah! Was it a total guess? A total guess. Yeah. Sometimes out of thin air you get something, don't you? Listen, we've got a career out of it, so... <laughs> <laughs> Tom, you've just won 2,000 euro, buddy. Thank you, chaps. It's been great. Good, good luck. luck. Well done. Have a good one. Stacking up the cash. Cash! Cash! The two grand minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. On Casey and Ross in the morning. <laughs> 96 FM. If there is a woman you'd like to honour with our imaginary very large medal after Jackie gave out to me. Our imaginary very large medal or trophy. Um, 083 396 96 96. We will be crossing very shortly to practically the other side of the world to celebrate International Women's Day. Um, We're going to try and link up with the Caribbean very shortly. But for now... A woman who's been on the show many times with me and was one of our great contributors during the the COVID pandemic when we spoke several times about COVID and and its effects and and that kind of thing. Uh, Dr. Monica, morning to you. Hi, Peter. Good morning. Good good to catch up with you again. Uh, Remind people again of your story, Monica. You, where, where are you from originally? You're, you're Irish now and you're living and based here, but you came, did you come here for a holiday or what did you come here for originally? Oh, no. Okay, well, I suppose, yeah. So I was born in Nigeria and then um, my mom passed away when I was about 14. So I moved to Ireland, um, to Dublin to be with my dad okay. uh, when I was about 15. So I grew up in Blanchestown, Dublin, went to college at Trinity and then after graduating in um, 2014, I decided I was sick of Dublin and I came to Cork. So <laughs> that's how I ended up in Cork. Good call. <laughs> <laughs> and you stayed and you, pra- you practice here now. TikTok is where we discovered you. Um, and yeah. te- technology is huge. And uh, the number of women on TikTok, I, I, are there more women on it than men? I think there are. I think it's equal because um, there are things for everyone on TikTok. It's so much fun. Mm. How do you think it empowers you in your role as a doctor and or as a woman? Which for me as a doctor, especially during the times, like you mentioned, during the pandemic times where there was a lot of misinformation, I found TikTok and just online as a very great tool, a real good tool to just help spread like 
proper information and debunk any myths and or stop any misinformation, especially about COVID itself and the vaccines. And I think it did play a huge part in people uh, taking uh, having a good uptake of the vaccines. And then I also use that as our feedback as well to kind of have an idea of what's going on in people's mind because for some reason, which I do love, people are quite open, especially on TikTok, to ask their questions and mm. also maybe whatever they might be thinking of uh, thinking. So, and then I could address that either in my day-to-day work life or also online as well. So, I found it really good. I think it's a really great tool. Did you find that women come to you more with their questions because you are a woman? Absolutely. And and um, I understand, but um, that's just how it is. And people tend to be more comfortable when they're having, especially when it's a women's health issue, mm. when they are speaking to someone that they feel they might understand what you're talking about. So that's just how life is, I suppose. Because yeah, women's health is a big issue for us here at the programme. We, we touch on many elements of it in the course of any, yes. any given week. And and the one thing I know for sure is that I hadn't a clue about women's health before I really started doing this job. I thought of the obvious things. But the difference yeah. between being a man and being a woman in terms of our health and the things we must do. I mean, I, I often said, Monica, if if a man had the first child, there would never have been a second. <laughs> <laughs> I actually concord definitely <laughs> it's not it's not easy at all like um, having a child bearing a child and then even raising our child as well I was saying to a friend yesterday that I just have a dog and she just got neutered and I had to look after her like overnight and I was like oh my god I can't believe a lot of women do this and have sick kids and have not just one and so many oh god so yes it's not easy being a woman definitely and then, and, and then when you raise your child and you bring them to adulthood you have to face into another thing menopause Lord God help you yeah it's 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 an endless cycle but you know what women are stronger and we are embracing the changes and we are more vocal now which is good and I think that's what the theme um, with the um, the international women's day just highlighting that we're in the digital space and also making sure that there is equality for us so we we are getting there there's a saying um in Nigeria that says that I don't know if it's popular in Ireland as well, but it says whatever a man can do, a woman can do better. And um, it's not like I'm shading men, but it shows that women can actually do just as well as men. Been told that a hundred times and you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're not wrong, Monica. Um, yeah, there are things that we didn't talk about. We'll be in February of 2020. Four, we'll be doing this show 10 years and in the 10 years there were things that we would never have talked about 10 years ago now in relation to women's mm-hmm. health and women's issues that we talk about yes. openly you've been here to witness that change yes it's yeah. great because even simple well I suppose it's not simple but things like periods like it was very difficult for most people to actually call it periods but I think in the last five years people are now using the term periods as well and then menopause that was a little bit of hush hush I have a lot of um I have a lot of patients that are going through menopause now and they just keep on telling me I can't believe my mom went through this and she never said anything I can't believe there was there was just so many it's just like 
just don't say it and just deal with it. That was the whole issue with things about women and also especially women's health as well. So as the years are going by, things are changing. Like I said, people are more vocal and they're addressing changes that are happening within them and around the society as well. Mm. Things are no longer, well, just get on with it. Everyone goes through it. That Those days, I think, are gone. Oh, I hope so. Um, it's getting there. I don't think they are gone, gone. But it's just, uh, it's important. That's one of the things I always say online. That just because everyone is going through it doesn't make it normal. There are things that can be done and you should address it and just not put it in the back burner. Yeah, yeah. Come back to the technology. Um, if people want to find you and ask you questions, you're as busy as you ever were. Where can they find you, Monica? <laughs> so, well, I am a GP and I work in Douglas, but online you can find me on my TikTok page, which is Perez. <laughs> Don't ask me how I got that. I was going to ask you because I know it. <laughs> I was going to ask you. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Perez is my middle name, yeah. and then Blondie was a nickname I I got in college. I suppose I was asked, <laughs> my questions were not the smartest, so <laughs> but I embraced it. So yeah, so Doctor Dot Blondie Perez on TikTok, and you could also find me on Instagram as well, which I share a lot of um, information on women's health, men's health, and just funny things in general, and just show you that your doctor can actually also have a life outside outside work as well, and just make it easily and approachable for people. Yeah. Are you down there next to the next to the pharmacy on Douglas Road? Dear uh, about there is a pharmacy. Um yeah. <laughs> there's a pharmacy. It's yeah. a mygp.ie so place. You're down there, are you? No, 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 not there. Oh the other uh, one. The I know what the other one is. Up near up near yeah. Fallon. Ah right, okay. You're... Yeah, that's the one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you 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 have a queue out the door now. Oh Jesus. <laughs> 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 Listen, have a have a very happy International Women's Day, Monica. Thank you so much. Peter. Great Thank to have you. you as a friend of the show, uh, Dr. Monica Blondie Perez Oike. Um, you find her on TikTok and you'll find her in her practice on the Douglas Road. Thank you very much. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 FM. Just before we cross to the other side of the world, let us... Clear up some of your correspondence. Talking earlier to Courts correspondent Frank Graney about, and you'll you'll get this on podcast later, about the Burks and what happened in court with Enoch and Amy and Mummy and Daddy and brothers in the courts yesterday, where they literally were dragged out, kicking and screaming from the literally kicking and screaming. You'll find the video online. It was on the news last night, and discussing with Frank what happened in the court, the bizarre scenes. Tracy says it's disgraceful the way the Burks were dragged out of court like that. Scumbag criminals are not manhandled in that way. The guards threw the sister on the ground. A disgusting treatment. To be fair, Tracy, there are three ways of looking at that video. And either she fell and tripped and fell on the shoes she was wearing, or she got pushed and fell, or... She did a dive that would um, be not lost in the Premier League. I don't know. 
I did see it, though. Alex said the guards only dragged people out like that when people refused to comply. If they'd walked out, they wouldn't have been dragged out. The guards were actually very restrained. They were probably warned not to pepper spray them, as the Burks would use those images forever. In other countries, they'd have been tasered. Jackie says for all the Burks purported Christianity, where is their own? Their mother in particular looked as she was enjoying this entire show yesterday. To be honest, they're costing the country a fortune too. Twelve Guardian Court. Obviously, they were preempting this. Lock them all up in one cell and throw away the key. Has anybody asked, by the way, says Jackie, about their actually actual means to pay all these fines, let alone the court bills? Jackie, are they financially able to cover the costs or are they just kicking the can down the road? This isn't about the use of pronouns anymore or about anything else related to the initial aspects of it. And remember, and thank you, Jackie, remember, there is still a young teen at the centre of this debacle, now in the background, and you would hope, you're correct, you'd hope they're okay. And one last one. If those six were from Ballymun, they'd have been dragged out into a van and jailed for contempt of court. Well, Enoch was jailed for contempt of court for something like 105 days, and they let him out before Christmas. And one of the reasons they let him out, if I was reading that correctly at the time, or analysing it correctly, more like, was they let him out because he was benefiting his own campaign by being locked up. It's a bizarre story. And it's not over yet, as Frank said earlier on. And we'll put that particular interview with Frank up um, as a podcast we do the bones of and sometimes more than 30 podcasts a week now from the opinion line including the full show every day and that's nearly that's available to you usually around 3 o'clock and I know that a lot of listeners in the states particularly where there's a 4 or 5 or maybe 6 hour difference they pick up on the podcast in the mid-afternoon and if you go on the app the Corks 96 FM app all of the individual podcast that we put up every day they're all there, they're there by one o'clock or anywhere you get your podcasts you'll be able to get the individual parts of the show so um, sign up to our podcasts, it's free totally and completely and utterly free unlike other people who charge and enjoy 0818 96 96 96 now I want to cross to uh, the Caribbean there is a ship docked there at the moment. It is called the SV Tenacious. It's a very special ship. It is the only, it is a tall ship, a functioning tall ship. And it is one of the only tall ships on the planet. One of only two, I think, but may even be the only one. There was a one called the Lord, the Lord Nelson, a very famous one called the Lord Nelson. I think that was decommissioned a few years ago. So the Tenacious may be Maybe the only one. But on board the Tenacia, Tenacious at the moment is Kira, who's a wheelchair user from Cork. Let's see if we can connect. Morning, Kira. Morning, and thank you so much for having us on. Yes, I'm currently sitting on the SME Tenacious, docked just outside the Caribbean island of Guadeloupe. And I'm here with a fantastic crew brought over from Spinal Injuries Ireland. 40 crew members in total and eight of us that have spinal cord injuries. And as I said, we're on the SV Tenacious, the only fully accessible tall ship in the, the world that can be crewed by a mixed ability crew. And how did you get to be on board that, that boat? 
So I was really fortunate that I actually sailed on the trip last year. So in June, we sailed from Poole in the UK down around the south coast of England and then docked back in Dublin. And when the trip was announced for this year to the Caribbean, absolutely, I could not resist getting getting back on board because it's the most wonderful experience. And if you can sail in a beautiful place with in the Caribbean and raise incredible money for Spinal Injuries Ireland, that's a that's a win win. And one hundred and fifty thousand has been raised alone based on this trip that we're all currently doing at the moment. So how many crew are on board, including yourself? There's 12 permanent crew members, 40 of us who have come over as a group with Spinal Injuries Ireland. And then out of that 40, 11 of us, including myself, have a spinal cord injury here. Are you okay for me to ask you about the nature of your injury? What happened to you? So I myself am a T2 paraplegic and I'm a wheelchair user. And I've been a wheelchair user since a road traffic accident in early 2000s, which is where I I picked up my injury. Okay. And is sailing something that you were always into or did you get into it since your accident? Um, I had never sailed before I did the trip last year. But the wonderful thing about doing something like this, everyone, regardless if you're a wheelchair user or a spinal cord injury, you, you can get involved with everything here on the ship. Between hauling up the sails, we do different watch duties, you helm the ship, you get involved with all of the rigging and you can even go aloft, which means climbing up into the crow's nest where you have the most beautiful panoramic views of the sea and all the Caribbean islands. It is a spectacular part of the world. It's so gorgeous. I mean, the sea is so clear and blue. It's beautiful weather here, about 28 degrees. And what, what more could, could people want? And we have so many exciting things planned over the, the next few days. At the moment, we have dropped anchor off Guadeloupe and a little bit later, those with a spinal cord injury, um, myself included in my chair, are able to go aloft into the crow's nest doing some assisted climbs. Yeah. So how, how everyone is that can done? get involved with everything here. How is it done? So you're fitted into a sling and then you're connected up with various ropes and rigging. And there's two options for spinal cord injury uh, individuals and in that you can either use a little kind of a pulley system where you use your good upper arm strength to pull yourself up into the crow's nest. Me personally, I'm not that strong. I'd love to be Hercules, but I'm not. Hmm. So when I'm in my sling, the permanent crew down below, along with some of the voyage crew, actually haul me up in my sling. So they're pulling on ropes down below and I'm sitting in my sling going up, up into the air. And there's two permanent crew members who are generally waiting in the, the crow's nest to meet me. Excellent. It's a marvellous opportunity. And in other ways, the, the ship is adapted. There's a talking compass. There is, yeah. So it's completely set that if anyone is hard of hearing or visually impaired, the ship is completely adapted, that it works for everyone. Going along the deck, there are little guidelines. So if you were visually impaired, you'd be able to feel where you're stepping and how close you are to certain things. There's no part of the ship that's not accessible. Where I'm currently talking from now is the bridge, which is where the ship is held and steered. So all of the radar is up here. So there's a lift that I can access down here. There's other two lifts that go down to an area that's called the lower mess, which is where we all sit and have our meals. And our bunks are also down there, 
which is where we can sleep during the night. Mm. So there's not one inch of tenacious that's not accessible. So it will never occur that someone, you know, runs off somewhere and you can't follow them. You can go absolutely everywhere on tenacious, which is, you know, an absolutely incredible. Yeah. So, so how how much longer is the trip, Kira? How much longer will you be there? So we've got another another couple of days before we get our flight home on Sunday. So in total, it's been I think eight days that we'll have here in the in the Caribbean, which is, you know, a once in a lifetime opportunity. And the great thing about trips like this, whether you're on the SV Tenacious like I am, or there's also another that fully accessible adventure that Spinal Injuries also run and it's a cycle in the Algarve that happens in May. Wow. So anyone who's listening and really thinks that this is sounds like the best thing, the trips are fully inclusive for anyone who would like to, to do them and anyone who wants to get involved. And all of the information can be found on our website, you know, spinalinjuries.ie and if anyone wants to, you know, donate or read information yeah. about morning, the tall ship challenges you can. I was just going to ask you that, actually, how people can contribute to, to the fund. It's getting busy there behind you. It is at the moment. Um, I can tell you what's happening behind me is the first mate of the ship is currently announcing to let people know that if they want to go into, into the shore for a little bit, they're just giving a little run through of the boats are in the water and that whoever wants to go ashore can, including those of us with spinal cord injuries. There is a hoist that will go down into one of the little speedboats and if you're using a wheelchair like myself your wheelchair is already sitting down there in the boat and you're lowered in through a sling and then off you go fantastic there were some glitches on the line but joining me live from the bridge of the tenacious in guadalupe in the caribbean Kira O'Mahony, originally from Kerry, but living in Cork this long time. Um, so the Kerry connection is is forgiven that's it enjoy the rest of your trip Perfect. Thank you so much, PJ. And as I said, all of the information, spinalinjuries.ie, people can go onto the website and see everything about the trip and get involved from next year because it's, it's a fantastic opportunity. And by the way, it would be remiss of me not to wish you a happy International Women's Day while I'm at it. Oh, thank you so much. I will absolutely pass that on to all of the crew here. Thank you very, very much. Yeah. yeah no, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, yeah, that's... Um, that's that. That's an incredible. A better connection to Guadeloupe than you'd sometimes get to Grange. But that's that's a by the by. Thank you, thank you, Kira. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. We had a nice little response to. I just asked you: Was there any woman that you wanted to give a medal to on this International Women's Day? I initially said we'd like to present them with a little medal to mark the day. Then Jackie. Uh, reined me in. PJ, what's with the little medal? Seriously? I know, <laughs> I know, I know. Um, and Jackie was having fun with me, of course she was. A woman who represents the strength, wisdom and fortitude of Irish women across multiple years has to be Katrina Toomey, an inspiration for generations. Uh, many people in about Kate Durant involved in things like Dogs for Disabled, Vincent de Paul, Tidy Towns, Meals on Wheels, Welcoming the Ukrainian People to Cork, you name it, she's involved in it. Some people contacting us to recommend the Queen Bee for a medal because of her putting up, yes, without question, without question or doubt. She's up there. 
she is up there. Uh, but Kate would be a worthy runner-up. But it doesn't surprise me because year in and year out, and eventually somebody, some Lord Mayor, will have the smarts and the gumption to do it. It is well and truly about time that Katrina Toomey was made a Freeman of Cork City. She has more than earned it and she more than deserves it. And I'm now on International Women's Day calling, as someone with some little bit of standing in this community of ours, I'm calling on the powers that be at City Hall to please soon make Katrina Toomey a Freeman of our city. Honourable mentions also for Lorraine Walker and the late Vicky Field and of course Elaine Lynch, Rosario O'Brien, and two unnamed daughters from an unnamed mum which was mysterious but clearly she loves them. Very lastly and very quickly Kelly. Hello Kelly. Hello. Hi, let's check for a second. But I, you know, like I said, I would, I would like to maybe have more children. So Who's, who's bouncing on my bed? I only just now feel like I've caught up on my sleep from nine years ago. Who's bouncing on the bed, Kelly? Oh, nobody, sorry. <laughs> Me. No, you. Who is our mystery <laughs> voice, Kelly? It's Adele. It's Adele. Thank God, Kelly. She's bounced yeah. on the bed. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> go on, you're nervous. From Antolov... Nefa in Cove. That's correct. You're through your Wednesday's qualifier for our competition with Carrigaline Furniture and Carpets. Well done. We'll do it again tomorrow and again on Friday. And 1,500 euro voucher to be won. My God, it was a busy one. It was a lively one. And it was a fun one for International Women's Day. Programme edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Richard Vickery. Have a good day. Um, give a little bit of respect and love to the uh, women in your life. And we'll talk to you tomorrow just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 FM A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.